Oh, not Jerry Reynolds. <laughs> uh, I legitimately thought he said Jerry Reynolds, and I went, I'll go with it, even though I have no idea who the fuck he's talking about. But actually, now that I've clicked out to us that you obviously meant Terry Reynolds, that shit suddenly makes a lot more sense. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I mean, Jerry did admit a hybrid between Jerry Reynolds, Jerry Lawler, and Terry Reynolds would be a, a thing, a thing to behold. But it really would. <laughs> I think it would be called a monstrosity. I think it. I think it would, it, it would just arouse itself. <laughs> it just spend the entire day just playing with themselves. <laughs> oh, it would be like the world's worst hermaphrodite. <laughs> this is staying in the podcast, by the way. I, 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 was, I was expecting that. I've, I say a lot of things on this podcast that afterwards I'm like, where the fuck did that come from? <laughs> well, as I said before, the cat feet went... Two minutes twenty six seconds. I think talking about it for longer than twenty six seconds period is more than enough. So I think we're going to move on from any mention of Terry Reynolds and move on to what's happening backstage. As the radicals are backstage, at least seventy five percent of them. We've got Dean Malenko, the light heavyweight champion. We've got Perry Sarton, and you got Eddie Guerrero. They're talking about their upcoming six person tag, and Dean and Perry are trying to make sure that Eddie's focused and he keeps talking about China. And he says that she can't resist his Latino heat for saying that <laughs> phrase. As ever been mentioned, it will become synonymous with Eddie Guerrero very soon. And basically, it's the same combination we've had of Too Cool versus The Radicals before, except we've added China into the mix, which makes it all new. And I think we were talking before this being a one-match card, potentially a two-match card, the second-best match being one we're still to talk about. I really think, as we get into it, if there's any match addict that was a candidate to be like to make this try and make this a three match card. I'm not saying it is a three match card, but if there was any candidate to help up, up, increase the quality of the card in terms of what matches to look back on. I think with this one, you've got some decent workers involved in here. Yeah, I agree. Um, Eddie, Eddie is just a testament to the man that he can take anything and make it interesting, no matter what. Um, absolutely fantastic. Uh, I loved it. I really like this match. I, on, my, on my notes, I have Eddie is like that guy at the nightclub who has his heart set on a girl, but has two weird mates that are cock-blocking it. <laughs> That's what I had this kind of story in this match. It just felt like Eddie was trying to get to China and just his mates were just cock-blocking it. And then China really played a part. I really, really enjoyed this. And just, it just, it's, it's again, it's a testament. It's like Jericho, whatever he gets put in. Although you might be critical of his in-ring performance, he makes it interesting. And it's kind of a testament to just Eddie's status as probably he's in my top five wrestlers of all time and that's kind of why i can't really disagree with what um he's just said to be honest because um eddie is basically one of those that you can give him complete and utter shit and he will turn it into a gourmet meal that fucking gordon ramsay would be proud of you know he's (laughs) just got this innate ability to transcend the crap and make it awesome i mean he made i'm your pappy popular you know he's fucking amazing and i do think that the radicals obviously especially eddie guerrero have really injected a higher standard of match and quality ever since their debut so i do feel that of course it makes sense that they end up facing two called in china for wrestlemania Mm-hmm. I mean, too cool in their own right are you know decent workers in there. Clearly over, and weirdly, I think this should have been like maybe the opener instead of the Ice T performance with Godfather and, and D'Lo because too cool would kind of become the opening match guys as we see from 
if you've used in like the spring and summer because they are an, like like Godfather earlier on they are an overnight which will guarantee a pop from the crowd to kick off the pay per view hot and Eddie uh, even though he's uh, obsessed with China China is clearly not reciprocating and so Eddie basically avoids trying to be in the ring with her like, he starts off with Scotty Dolly but as soon as China gets tied then he's tagging back out to Dean Malenko you got China and uh, Mr Sexy you know doing a bit of a double team with the Double hit toss, and then he get Grandma Sexy gets China to dance, even though just briefly. And then Perry Saturn showing some of the one of the biggest few glimpses of personality being shown by Perry Saturn, even though in this moment he's still more charismatic than Steve Black could ever hope to be. Roid Rage, Roid Rage is what I would say it was. He grabs uh, Grandma Sexy's do rag and then puts it on his head, and then he does a little dance as well. And <laughs> I will be lying if I said that didn't make me laugh. And then the, the radicals uh, work over Grandma's Sexy for a while. Uh, Scotty Dotty gets a double worm, which uh, I don't think is any more effective than a regular worm, but still is twice as over. Uh, again, Eddie Grail's trying to avoid being in our China. He's uh, grabbing the room, but the referee as well. Uh, and weirdly, it comes down to China and Eddie in the finish. And, you know, Eddie. You know, bumps like hell for China, like on like many others would. And Eddie takes a power bomb from China, not the best power bomb. And China in these last few minutes has to work around the fact that part of her gears clearly listened, and she can still see her trying to adjust it as they walk. She walks up the ramp later on, but then China with a, a sleeper suplex, which I've never seen her use. It didn't look that good, and China gets the win for her team. I think the one thing that holds this back is the fact that I don't think the Radicals got enough offense in. Like, it only went around nine or so minutes. But mm. I think the Radicals got that, like, three-on-one where they were working over Grandma Sexy in the corner. You know, standard of a time, until the a face gets caught in the corner. The, face, the heels keep tagging in quickly, and then eventually the, the face makes the tag out. But that really, really went a lovely flick. There you go, there's your bit of offense. Back to the faces dominating and Eddie acting like a care, which he did pretty well to be fair. Yeah, um before Sam gets his uh his his uh his essay back out, um I'm looking forward I'm looking forward to hearing it again. I just have a few comments. Um I think I think what made this match really you kind of as a casual as a casual viewer of this kind of era, it was really cool because you, your perception of China is this big intense seven wonder of the world monster. And when she comes out of her shell in a comedic way, it really had an impact. You were like, wow, this is a different side of China that I haven't seen before. And I got really, really in- interested. You're correct in saying that if there was a case for this to be like a three-match card or in my case, a two-match card, like it would be between this and the match we're going to talk about later. Mm-hmm. Um, Ger- Eddie running on his knees was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, just so good. I loved it. It was just so... The grabbing, the grab of the balls from China... Um, <laughs> She's just she was fantastic in this match as well. Like, like as 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 much as she's like as much as she's like kind of heralded for like her impact and like how she stood out in like an era where women didn't stand out. She still was slightly underrated in the ring for me as someone who's looking at it now. Um, I think she did fantastic in selling the Eddie stuff. I thought the rest of the people in the match like played their part well, but like it wasn't really about that. They were just the foil for this story between Eddie and China, and they did quite well. And unlike a lot of the stuff we've seen before on this card, the sexual undertones were very, very like subtle and kind of they were a sub story in kind of the match. Whereas I feel like earlier in the night, the kind of 
the kind of the st- sexual storylines that Vince loves were taking over and taking me out of match. This kind of just added to it nicely as like a as like a backing track to a really good, match, really solid match. Mm-hmm. Sam, uh, what were your thoughts on the match overall? Well, um, after um, Ryan's obviously just started off a mini essay in preparation of this one, <laughs> I. Oh, Almost don't want to burst mine out just in case, but um, I, I'm going to say that I actually think this is probably a really good match in terms of turning around to people and saying, this is why Eddie Guerrero is such a good ring general, because he, it's very obvious that he's controlling the dicta- uh, dictation of the entire match. He's controlling the tempo. He's the one who everything is revolving around, and he does a very excellent job at it which we all said very quickly. Now, it's very obvious that he's very good at stealing the attention and doing these little subtle moments like the flirtation with China, etc. But what that also does quite well is that any action that the opponents do against it gain more resonance and are more important than they would have been beforehand. Eddie has that amazing ability to not only um, make his teammates look better working around him, but he makes his opponents look stronger as well. And I think that um, certain, certain moments such as like the worm to Saturn and Milenko uh, may not have involved Eddie, but it does have that. Um, it does have something that the fans have been built up for because Milenko and Saturn have been double teaming and attacking and that sort of thing and helping Eddie and the radicals are getting their comeuppance and the worm being done to two people is the sort of thing that suits WrestleMania because it's maximized on a big stage. And by the time it comes to the hot tag from Scotty to China, I mean, the crowd are on their feet. We can see that. Um, And even though I've never been majorly impressed by China as a wrestler, I thought she was competent, but I didn't think she was amazing. She, her hot tag... I would say is probably one of the best ones in the entire show mm-hmm. because she takes out Saturn and Malenko. She's doing handspring elbows. She's doing low blows everywhere. And her finally getting her hands literally on Eddie um, has been built up to so well. And it is a very solid finish. The sleeper drop is a little bit different from normal. China doesn't end up keeping it at all, but it was a very solid finish. Now, I agree with Scott in that I do think this does a much better job as an opener than the actual opening match because what you've got is three popular babyfaces, three unlikable heels, an infested crowd who are interested in the story, a better in-ring style for the fans to enjoy, and these little extra moments that between Eddie and China that the crowd can get, can get involved in and invest in. And I feel that overall it's a very good job from all involved, but especially Eddie. And in fact, the only negative I will say, apart from wishing it had had a little bit longer, because even though the radicals don't get a lot of offense compared to what you would expect of them, they maximize their time quite well. I would say the only complaint I have about it is when Jerry Lauder described China as getting moist. Yeah. And my soul oh, died. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. I've forgotten about that moment until you mentioned it, so thanks for that, Sam, you bastard. Yeah. I had to go through hearing that shit and shuddering afterwards, so I think you have to as well. Literally, if you just cut that one line, because up till then, Jerry Lawler was almost bearable in this match. It, t- but the it, mo- it takes you out of it. I'm going to say this a lot, and I say this a lot when I'm talking about wrestling, but if your commentator is good... 
it w- they will keep you in the match. Same with a ref. A really good ref is someone who, unless they, there is a real reason for it, they look invisible in a match. Mm-hmm. If a commentator is trying to invest himself in a storyline by either becoming part of the storyline or just saying stupid horny shit like Jerry did, it completely takes you out of the match. Like completely, and it takes you a couple of minutes. And honestly, a couple of minutes in wrestling is enough. Like with the time that the, you said this match was nine minutes, a couple of minutes is res- wrestling lost due to distraction for a fan is criminal. It's just it's it takes- twenty-five to thirty percent of the entire matchup, which is integral. Yeah. I, I'm one of those that I understand the concept of having someone like Jerry the King Lawler to add that every man or that heelish entity to it or something like that. But I think it says everything about Jerry Lawler as an actual commentator when I legitimately think that the best commentary team um, was JR and Paul Heyman. Because Paul Heyman did everything that Jerry the King Lawler did, but well, and also added actual benefit to the to the um announcing team he actually made J- uh jim ross raise his game where jerry the king lawler really drags it down and i think a good commentary team is very underrated i still think that for instance michael cohen towers uh from 2002 2004 on smackdown were the better commentary team because they made each other raise their game they pushed against each other enough to get something out of it whereas Anytime Jerry the King Law is involved in commentary, you're waiting for him to drop a clanger or you're waiting for him to make it uncomfortable. And that mm. is a detriment to the actual match and the entire card itself. That, that's why when myself and Kieran did a draft, did a mock draft, my number five pick and I think Kieran's number seven were Wade Barrett and Smojo. Because, I'm not surprised. Because you need they have been two, if we're talking about modern day, they are two commentators that have added to the lead commentator they have pushed the lead commentator to be better Samoa Joe's intensity raw was shocking but one thing that you really really noticed and the only reason I stayed watching it for as long as I did was Samoa Joe added actual intensity commentators if done well can actually make an average match a lot better than it is just Mm. by just by being believable and if they're invested then you'll be invested if Jerry Lawler's being horny the person at home might just go Ah, I don't really care. I'm off for whatever they want to do because, because, because they're leading the match. That's their role. Yeah. And if and and like sometimes wrestling fans are so invested in a ma- in a show, if they if they are told something, it will tune their brain to believe it. And that's why Jerry has taken away from this match and kind of le- taken it down maybe a grade if we're talking in a grade system. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with that absolutely. I think um, you look at names such as like. Um, uh, Kevin Kelly, Mauro Ronaldo, you have um, Nigel McGuinness, you have uh, Excalibur, who I think is massively underrated in terms of what he can do and mm-hmm. adding to a match and his level of knowledge. One of my favourite um, nowadays, and that, it possibly is a bit of my nostalgia speaking from watching him when I was younger, is actually Tony Schiavone of AEW, but that's because he's got that right balance of not giving a shit in that if he doesn't like someone, he will say it. So he calls MJF a creepy little bastard after time. But oh, his, sorry, you're right. His commentary on the whole Kenny Omega stuff when Kenny Omega smacked uh, Moxley with the microphone and left with the AW belt, where he's like, he's a despicable little shit for the next four weeks. That was perfect because that's what we, that's what, that's what the story is. Omega is a despicable little prick who was stolen the AW world title. And the way Tony Schiavone subtly references it and the stuff he says about Don Callis. Do you know when Don Callis is on commentary? And Don, Callis, yeah. and Don Callis comes up and he's like, oh, here's this dickhead. Like, you wouldn't just go, 
oh hi how are you like let join us like Tony Schiavone's like, oh, here's this dickhead, and he and he and and, and he's going to join us. I don't want him to join us, but he's going to join us. It's exactly, exactly, Sam. I love that. Yeah, there was an, even a moment I remember, which is still stuck in my head, which I think was Don Callis telling Tony Schiavone to move so he could sit down, and literally Don is talking to him, and Tony's staring at him, and Tony just says, "Screw you," pointing his <laughs> finger, and just turns away. And I was like, "Yes, Tony, yes." And that really builds up the overall story because the commentators are invested. They actually give a shit about what's happening around them. That's why NXT is still probably the strongest of all three major brands in WWE because they actually talk about the matches. Whereas a lot of time on the main rosters, you're going to have it more. They're talking about what you've already just seen and not actually about what's happening. I, th- I, th- I think McAfee might might be able to change. I know he's with Michael Cole, but I think McAfee has shown very early signs in that Roman Daniel Bryan match that he has potential to be a great commentator. Mm. Mm. I have to admit that I haven't watched McAfee on the uh, announce table because I didn't like him as a as a pundit, basically, and I didn't. I don't. I find him very unlikable, and I know that's the point, but it's less. Um, oh, I want to see him get his ass kicked, and more, he's like, fucking next pack, I want him to go away. But I'm, I, I have to admit, all the reports I'm reading at the moment is saying that his work on the announce table is some of the best they've seen in quite a while. Mm. But yeah, better all, all better than Jerry, <laughs> is what we're trying to say. Yeah, it was a long-winded way of saying that, but I, I can't disagree with what you're saying, especially what Sam said about likes of Heyman uh, and JR and... Cole and Taz because of my top two commentary teams of all time were those two and it shows how like fondly people remember JR and Raymond together when they only were together like six, seven months maybe in total when you think about it mm. and uh, like Heyman at WrestleMania 17 when, when Lita gets involved in the triple in the triple set TLC match you know, takes her shirt off and he's yelling at her to take all her clothes off and yeah yeah you roll your eyes doesn't do a line like that back but you don't react in the same way you would if Jerry Lawler said it's Jerry Lawler. Anything he says regarding women just immediately makes you uncomfortable. Whereas mm. Paul Heyman doesn't have that vibe around him. It's, which, it's, it, it comes out with no, less is more. is probably the best <laughs> way. And yeah. Heyman actually balances it out by then turning around and really chewing on when like Lita's doing a moonsault or a hurricanrana and that sort of thing. He, bal- he actually has a balance to it. And mm-hmm. you expect a little bit of that I'm going to say sleaziness from Heyman due to the fact that he was from ECW. You kind of expected that, but you you get to the point that with Jerry the King Lawler, you expect nothing but sleaze. And that gets to the point that it becomes uncomfortable because he can't think about a match. He can only think about his testicles. Yeah. I mean, speaking of testicles, you got like China doing a double wall blow, as we mentioned, and then grabbing by <laughs> the balls. And it was good that that happened because he said we've got sleazy guys like on commentary with JLO with everything he says but just about every female except say Linda McMahon or Stephanie on the who appear on the show. And you've got Val Venus who's a sleaze and the cat fight but somehow gets rewarded by having both women kiss him. Whereas Eddie's acting all sleazy and rightfully gets, you know, rejected by China and not only that, but she gets to beat the shit out of him as well in mm. the process. And like, yeah, she works with she's not the best in rings, like she's clearly the worst of all six of these guys in, in the ring. But like she's working with like the Malenko, Saturn, and Eddie, and she looks good with them, and she looks good when she's in there with an actual worker. Because like her two matches with Jericho, some of her best that she's ever had, or mm-hmm. her match with like Jeff Jarrett. I mentioned this in the article I did, like things you learn about watching SmackDown in '99 is that 
even though it's a stupid game to look back on, but Jeff Jarrett, actually, when you think of me, you watch it properly, this, like, the whole beginning to end of his storyline with China, he makes China look like a fucking star, because he hands up this whole misogynist gimmick up to 11 in order to help China feel relevant, and I think part of the reason the Super Stufix was so weird is that they were just kind of just throwing out new ideas for, for finishing moves for China, because she hasn't really like, done all that much in terms of matches recently. She's missed the Benetai matches the last couple of months, but she wins. She used to do the pedigree, but obviously she can't do the pedigree anymore. She's not associated with Triple H. And so then they just keep trying to figure out new uh, like moves for, for China, and this was just one that didn't work. I, I think, looking back on it, I know it's probably hindsight, but I think the Radicals should have won this. And I'm not saying all the Radicals were buried or anything, because well, even though I said they should get more offense and if they're going to lose, but you know, you've got Malenko, who's still relatively fresh as a champion. You've got Benoit, who's going to bring some cold to the group, even though he's going to leave soon after. Like, uh, But, like, you guys have a thing where, you, where the Radicals leave us, maybe two members out of the four being champions. So maybe them winning here and then Benoit later on can help actually give some momentum to these guys that they've lost in the last month or so. And plus, like, the only reason it feels like China beat Eddie is so, like, it's the guy, it feels like they're trying to give some resolution. Oh, this guy was a creep to her, even though it's been going on for a week. But she's managed to shut him up because me and Sam are going to talk about next week. This isn't over between Eddie and China, and actually it takes a whole different turn when we're mm. next going to talk about it. And it's going to turn into one of the most entertaining things of uh, of the whole summer for, for the WF in 2000. So it doesn't really matter that China got the win over Eddie here because when we see what the storyline's going to be, it ultimately doesn't matter. So why not have the Radicals get the win with Eddie maybe cheating like to beat China or something like that? Mm. Yeah. Especially as it probably would make more sense in retrospect if they if they had actually won because of mm-hmm. what happens later on in the story. Whereas instead, what happens after this makes even less logistical sense. Um, and I do agree in that I think the Radicals really should have won this match um, because... I think they needed the victory more because um, you could have had it that China could have gotten some of our revenge, but a member of Too Cool took the loss instead because yeah. Too Cool are a bit like Teflon. They It doesn't matter if they lose a match because nobody gives a shit. Let's be honest. I mean, there's probably going to be so many matches in the future we're going to watch where they lose and afterwards they still fucking dance. So it's yeah. just not essential. Yeah, and it's weird that a show that I've mentioned before, the big issue with the first half of the card is that it's pretty much all heels winning. Mm. And this is the one time I'm actually like saying that a heel should win when like Edwin Rooster, even though they haven't fully made their turn yet, they're technically tweeners, I believe, going into this with what they've been doing with the Hardys the last couple of weeks. So really, this is match six of a nine-match card, and this is the most straight-up babyface win we've had so far on the grand stage of this show that's meant to you know, culminate storylines, whereas Instead, it's doing that anti-air trope of, well, the pay-per-views really just lead to the angles, really getting paid off on TV, and this mm-hmm. is basically a stepping stone. But we go backstage where... Wait, wait, so sorry, Scott. Before you go backstage, we talked about the access. I want to talk about the competition winner. <laughs> because the competition VT was quite wholesome, and it was really cool. And I hate to be critical, but when they cut her in the crowd... I had no idea whether someone's entrance music had started or whether she was screaming. She sounded like a police siren. Mm. 
it, when she screamed did anyone else notice when she screamed it sounded like it sounded like i was like is that is that the riff of someone's entrance music because it <laughs> was, was like one of those it's actually victoria debuting then we didn't realize at the time with tattoo about to play saying all the things she said all the things she said i'm not going to try and imitate it because my voice broke a long time ago and I think I'd lose my voice if I tried. But oh my god, she did it about six times when they had the camera on her and it just sounded like, and like you could tell the lads behind her were so drunk because she'd turn around to them and, and then scream and they'd just be like, yeah, rock on dude. And I was just like, <laughs> I was just like ah, it was funny um, to me. Like, I think I, I agree with you like the high pitch like screeching, like it sounded like one of those old timey kettles you put on a stove to boil and then that's the sound it makes when the theme's coming out of it, as <laughs> she was screaming. And yeah, like the whole vignette of clearly this couldn't have been staged when you see how awkward these people are because they've got oh. all these all the family members involved. And like they claim they've never been on a plane before, and you've got this this jet that they've been flowing on, giving giving like these champagne glasses. And it's just these two people from fucking Allen Town, and. They don't want champagne. They 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 just want beers. I don't know who looked more less interested, Steph, uh, Linda McMahon, or these two. Like I genuinely couldn't pick. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Linda because these two can actually make an emotion. <laughs> I think it's actually when we cut back to them in the arena, is that this will be showing too much emotion. That's the whole problem. With her. and so you're sitting on this jet, sipping champagne, wearing jeans and W and t-shirts that just have the big WWF logo on them. <laughs> and somehow this woman's got a sign which we don't see her bring on the plane so they clearly gave her that to, to hold up during the show they look like real lifelong fans and not some people who looked into a draw and won the tickets yeah absolutely absolutely I agree with that they seem legitimate which is so unexpected nowadays because like usually it's so regimented to make sure that the people who are being presented fit an image whereas you can really imagine being stood next to these guys in a crowd cheering on your favorite wrestler. And mm. I think that really adds to the wholesome nature of it. I, I have to admit, this did put a sm- slight smile on my face when I saw it. Um, even though when they cut to the woman, her partner looks like he's just so uncomfortable that he doesn't even want to look at the camera. And I was just like, well, why? Have you got a warrant out on you or something, mate? What the, why the fuck are you looking oh, so... Oh, no, because I guarantee the la- the people by backstage in the truck being like, I really hope they kiss on the camera. I really hope they kiss on the camera. Please kiss on the camera. Do it for the... Do it for the... Do it for the video. <laughs> Kevin Dunn's, like, screaming at the thing, and then it doesn't, doesn't happen, because this guy is just like... What are we doing? Why are we? Why are we being filmed? I just want to watch the show. Yeah. I mean, the guy did look fairly awkward. Maybe like he just hears the fact that they're going on a plane and like, hmm, we've never flown before. But I don't. I'm not technically meant to leave the state of Pennsylvania. Should I mention that small detail? Nah, fuck it. I'm going to go to WrestleMania. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. I t- thank you WWE for snipping my uh, my ankle collar off. Yeah. I appreciate. It. This is worth six months in prison. I can't fucking wait. <laughs> Although. Given like what happened earlier on with some of the matches, like he's sitting there watching a guy come in a cheese costume, like I'm risking six months in jail for this. <laughs> that guy at the cheese costume should go to jail and uh, and, uh, and do my time because that's criminal, more criminal than anything I ever did. Yeah, but we've already seen that he's used to doing butt stuff in the cheese outfit, so he may be appropriate for it. And <laughs> <laughs> not dropping the soap, drop, dropping the cheese. Hey. But anyway, Scott, big show. <laughs> yeah, big show backstage. It was probably more interesting than anything big show has to say. You know, like Shane McMahon, God bless him, trying to big up the fact that big show 
Good Walker is the WWF champion. And then Big Show opens his mouth. Oh. The, the most electrifying man is going to get unplugged. And as soon as he said that, I stopped listening. And yeah, started uh, staring at his t-shirt that just said Big Nasty Bastard on it. Yeah, all I have on my notes here is Big Show tries dad jokes. <laughs> he seems being the dad. It's just, unfortunately, he's not supposed to be the dad figure until next month. Right now, he's supposed to be a challenger for the WWF heavyweight title. I mean, talking of dads, why has he got a show that says Big Nasty Bastard? Because really, he shouldn't like to be described as that because that's what the big boss man called him a few months ago when they revealed that Big Show's dad that died wasn't his. He was his dad, but he and his mum weren't married when they got when they had him. He had fucking boss man yelling in the camera, Paul White, you're a nasty bastard. And your mama said so. So now he's wearing the fact that, yes, I am proud to be illegitimate, and I am going to win the WF title regardless. I am a symbol to all those illegitimate bastards out there. <laughs> to be fair, his background is already confusion, because we've gone from Andre the Giant being his dad to his dad being unmarried um, and uh, with the mum and that sort of thing. His entire background's an entire mess. He might, it might have just been a shirt that his mum gifted him to say, do you know what? Be proud of who you are. His family tree, his, his family tree has like is one of them that's like been tried, like someone's tried to cut it down, but it hasn't worked, and now it's just hanging off sideways. <laughs> instead of like a straight line, like you would in Texas, instead the family tree looks like a cobweb. <laughs> no, <laughs> Aww, not a Texas joke. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember like hearing about the storyline and saying like, "Oh, Big Joe's dad is dead," but that's the story like his real dad died years ago. I'm thinking. I should think so. Said nineteen ninety nine. Andrew the Giant died in nineteen ninety three. Everybody mm. knows. Is 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 dad's called Bigger Show? I'm sorry. <laughs> a large event. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nobody expected that turn, did they? God. Uh, uh, talk, should... talk about dad jokes. We're going down that route. We should move on to uh, talking <laughs> of dad. Uh, people who don't who aren't cool. Kurt Angle. Uh, we get a flashback to something in Heat where we reveal that he's. Short-term manager Bob Backlund was the one who suggested to WF higher-ups that they do this whole two two falls of the two different titles. And so Kurt Angle ends their relationship by locking uh, Backlund in the crossway chicken wing. Like, and I remember like Angle had walked in the crossway chicken wing a couple of times during this match. I'm thinking, were they? I'm thinking they were trying to give Kurt Angle a mission. This is probably before they they thought of the ankle lock because. Kurt said that when he first started using it, a lot of people still thought of it as Ken Shamrock's move. And it seems like they were doing here what they tried to do with Darren Young a few years later with, you know, the idea of uh, Bob Backlund passing on his mission move. But as good as Angle is with his amateur background, the crossface chicken wing just doesn't sit him. No. I agree. I think um, the issue also with the crossface uh, chicken wing is that it leaves you a lot less to work with when it comes to mm-hmm. a wrestling match. Like if you set, if you go for the ankle lock, there are so many parts to it in uh, in terms of getting it set up and actually locked in, and then how they try to escape, etc. That it adds, it can add more tension to a match. Whereas the crossface chicken wing, if you get that locked in, unless they're big show, you're pretty much done for because it's almost impossible to uh, legitimately make it believable that someone can escape it. So I think for 
storyline purposes, it does make more sense for them to leave the crossface chicken wing behind and move on to the ankle lock. And uh, probably another reason for it would be because of the fact that they already have someone doing a crossface, and that's one of the men in this match. Yeah, the, the only the only time I've ever seen that, uh, and it's quite topical because uh, his future is up the air, the only time I've ever seen one of those moves where it's a submission move that no one can get out of, and like it's it's been set up so if you're in it, you're done for, is Daniel, Brian Danielson's cattle mutilation. Because yeah. he, he, he only, he put, when, when he put that, like, when he put that on, you're like, oh my god, this is amazing. When he put it on Morishima with the chain on his neck, you're like, oh my god, this match is over. He's squeezing the life out of them. That's yeah. when, a, that's when a, a submission move that you just described works. But in terms of in WWE, where Ring of Honor was all about you're gonna, like, just work rate matches and your fun and the storyline was quite there but it was all about work rate whereas in w where it's all about the story where you're meant to believe that even if someone's in a submission and if a baby face is in a submission they're oh, they can get out they can reach the ropes it you're right it, it doesn't really suit to overdo it and have like someone pass it on to someone because it mm. should stick it should stick with backland and not just like yeah transitional that name cameration is so strong as well and i'm still mm. sad to say that when Brian was in the middle of his heel eco warrior phase, that he didn't either bring that move back or just rename the yes what the cattle mutilation, especially given that he was given he named the cow that was killed to make his WWE title, <laughs> and so it would have fitted so so fucking well. It's just one of those things I think about. But you know, mm. Angle backstage warning a security guard who's caught at the end of a long twelve-hour shift and is just staring right past him, <laughs> and, like he's getting extra screwed at the match because there'll be a lot of fans and everything and. You know, probably want to celebrate with the Olympic hero after the match. Jericho comes out and wonders, hmm, how many of my catchphrases can I fit in a two-minute period? And out comes Benoit, and then Angle comes out uh, last of the two titles. It's a two-fall triple threat match, so there's going to be one fall for the Intercontinental title. And as soon as that's done, it, we start with the second fall, which is for the European title. So it goes back to a point you and I have talked about, like, not really... It seems like they defend like the titles in separately uh, with little rhyme or reason. And like, they can't really decide when the European title is going to defend or the IC title. And it feels weird that the IC title is going up first. And we actually think about it, given that it's two falls, and Angle's sad about defending both of them, but like, they make it out as if, like, I've never had to defend both titles. And the build, they've made it out as if he's defending both at once. Mm. But when you think about it, it's two separate matches once again. So he's, de- he's technically defending separately again. Yeah, it's just that instead he doesn't have two days between them. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's the only real difference. But I think. Even the the choice of having him defend both titles in two falls, I think, is such a um, fascinating idea, and I almost wish we could see it happen more often. Um, the closest you get probably now is like when Seth Rollins had the US yeah. and the um, WWE title and end up um, defending them two matches in a row. But I like the idea of having multiple men in the match with a different title at stake each uh, each fall. But again, they seem to have it that considering all the importance they give to the Intercontinental title and how it's supposedly much better history, they always go with the IC title first. Um, well, no, not first, but on in, in the lesser important, either on the lesser important show or the lesser important um, fall. So therefore, Raw, which will have the European title match usually, um, and the second four, which has the European title, has less interest to it because it's n- supposedly not as important. And that's what the WWF had built the audience to expect by that point. And then 
they almost turn completely on their own ide- ideas, which is very strange to me. I don't understand it. But before we go into the match, there is an interesting fact I'd like to throw at both of you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not only is this the first WrestleMania for all three men, but at least one of them would go on to headline each of the next three WrestleManias in a row. Wow. Mm. Starving, start talking about starving era. Yeah. Um I yeah, like just, just before you're talking about like all the men and all the belts being defended in one match. Now, as I said on the podcast this week, which was live on Twitch, which was fun. The hill I'm willing to die on is that Hangman needs to be the first one to pin Omega, and he'll take that belt, and that has to be a set match. The AEW title has to be set, has to be defended in one match. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the impact and the AAA Mega the Campionas title, I would love to see Kenny do something like that. I think that would be great. All of his foes and all of his kind of dickishness that we were discussing with Don Callis coming back to bite him and meeting in like one. I don't know where you'd have it, but if we're talking about like the, the forbidden door being opened, maybe if all of Kenny's demons catch up to him and we have Andrade, for example, and Rich Swan, and they're both. Imagine Andrade versus Rich Swan versus Kenny Omega with both belts on the line. Mm-hmm. I even even better go even further than that, right? So this is this is where I'm really going to start throwing ideas out here. Okay, so if you're having it that the doors are being knocked down and you've got it that AAA and Impact and AEW and New Japan are all going together, the last time something similar to that happened was the original All In pay per view, right? So imagine. If they built up for, like, say, six to eight months, I don't think a year, because I think that's going to take it too far, to the point that you have the ultimate crossover event. So you have, like, the second ever all-in. So you have New Japan representatives, you have Impact representatives, you have AAA, AEW, and who knows, you might even have Ring of Honor, which would be quite fascinating to include as well. That would be a long shot. I think Ring of Honor seemed to be quite um, set on not engaging, but I hope they would. Like, we're talking fancy booking. I really hope they would. I don't think Ring of Honor will, but if, if, if ever they're going to, the crossover might be the best opportunity. Imagine, imagine if, as your main event for that big, huge crossover, had Kenny Omega defending each title in like a fatal five way against a different representative of each company. And so each four is worth a different title and he has to defend them in the order that he won them. Or you could, or you could organize it, whatever. So you can have, for instance, Kenny Omega with the, the IWGP title, the AAA title, the impact title, TNA title, an AEW title, all five titles being defended in one match, and you could have in it Rich Swan of Impact possibly getting revenge, or more likely I'd say an Ace Austin figure, which I think is mm. who's being primed for it. You could have someone like, for instance, um, Kota Ibushi, or more likely ok- Okada Will, coming Will back o- possibly, or Will, Will, Will Ospreay. Will Ospreay yeah. would have to be the one there. Yep, or you could you could end up having Hangman Page getting his first opportunity to take the title back, something like that. And you have all these wrestlers in this different company in what could end up being like a hour long special with just a different title per fall. And it and you don't even have to guarantee that the person who wins it is going to be from a different company. So imagine if you have it, Kota Ibushi suddenly wins the AAA title and he goes to 
um, Mexico and starts battling like Phoenix and, and Pentagon and Laredo Kid and Andrade and that sort of thing. And the opportunities would be massive, but more than anything, if they've already had it before, they could sell 10,000 tickets for All In when nobody really had an interest in these wrestlers supposedly beforehand. Imagine if they did like a one, two-year, three-year build-up and you get to culminate it in the biggest wrestling crossover of all time. On, mm-hmm. on, that, that's fantastic. And for all those belts, I agree, except for one. Uh, we're, we'll, we'll move on. I'll give my opinion on why I did. I love this match, but didn't quite think it might have. It, it, I didn't quite think it hit. The way they have built Hangman, he has to have his one-on-one singles match with Kenny Omega in front of fans, kick out with the one-winged angel and win that belt on his own. They have done way too much with this storyline. They've built it so perfectly. He has to have his moment. I agree with all the other belts, but Hangman Page has to have his moment in the sun where he finally overcomes all of his demons. That you could even have tie-in where it's the one title that Omega retains in that huge big crossover. And afterwards, Hangman Page is the last man left who can challenge for it. You could have it that John Moxley's in the match instead as the biggest star, supposedly, of AEW and that sort of thing. That could actually work quite well. Mm. That's probably that's a discussion for another day, I'd say. Sorry, Scott. I was just going to say, the thing with ideas, as long as we break it down, it's one of those ideas that I'm sure they had a similar discussion with the two, what you do with these two titles at the time, where it's a fun idea and speedy. I think as we soon learn, the execution is not the strongest because, you know, I actually thought even though the European title in the second match isn't a, is the less prestigious title, the more multiple spots that I can think of that are on my head from this match come in the European title match and the IC title match. Is, goes like seven minutes. The IAC goes five, so it's a combined like thirteen odd minutes. This gets and like they don't really waste any time since the IC title match them because I really like the finish of the IC title bout uh, where you have Benoit uh, when Angle's got Jericho in the cross with second wing. Benoit breaks up, throws Angle at the ring, immediately goes up to the top, hits the diving headbutt, and pins Jericho. So he takes the fact that Jericho was prone, and Benoit winning the IC title. To be a video, it's his first title in the WF. He's only been there a couple of months. That WrestleMania is his first WrestleMania. So the fact that his music doesn't get a chance to play and they have to go straight into the next match. And even though it's for five minutes, a lot happens in that five minutes. So you could be forgiven if you were sitting in the crowd just watching a thing like whenever you watch Benoit thinking, oh yeah, he's an Intercontinental Champion. Benoit Angle's only got one belt. Because so quickly they move on that you almost forget about what is that, what has just happened. Like there's just too much being crammed in at these 13 minutes and like these guys are probably the three best workers or three of the best workers they've got right now because they've got this new influx of guys who aren't just great characters but great wrestlers as well. So they they do their best to make this work, but I think again, and I the idea of it is better than the execution of it. Yeah. Um. Now I'm gonna put it to you guys. I've been building this since the beginning. I said it was this was a match card, whereas you guys said this was a two match card. And I know that this is the match that we would add. That, I'm 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 right in saying this was the second match. This is the closest to it. I mean, maybe I'd argue the arguments being made about the six-person tag, but even then, I think it's just in comparison to some of the other shit we've had to sit through. Now, I just want to present this argument. As good as this match is, three amazing wrestlers, fantastic wrestling. The crowd kills this for me completely. They are absolutely dead. Mm. I started watching this match, and as much as I wanted to get invested in it, and it's been said before, a good crowd adds so much to a match. Like even an average match can be made amazing by a good crowd. Ilya and Walter this year being an exception, I 
as much as I tried to really, really like this match, I don't like it's a long night at WrestleMania. It's very warm. The the beers were probably flowing, I don't know. <laughs> but this crowd was just dead for me in terms and it just took me out it took me out of the match. As someone who was kind of watching on my sofa, I just kind of I went on my phone for a bit. I watched the match and I really enjoyed it. But for me, the reason why this is a one match card is because the crowd kind of ruined this match for me. I mean, the contest winner was quiet during this match because I think she already lost her voice when they panned her in the crowd, so she couldn't make a peep the rest of the night. But yeah, because like, everybody was so loud for for Jericho because they're all like chatting along to his catchphrases. But then as soon as the match gets started, it's not as if they're like behind Jericho whenever he's on offense or whatever. They're just like you said, there they're quite dead. Even it's weird because like the hate angle because like he's he's done a good job of getting heat. Jericho is over Benoit. They're kind of on because I don't think he's well properly had a chance to establish himself yet and I agree with you that the crowd just died and I think like because also even they're not really accustomed to this type of match and also given that it's just a straight up match because like they've had shenanigans with the ladder match and the weird finish to the hardcore tail match and all the other stuff that's going on. this isn't that this is just three guys having two back to back straight up wrestling matches yeah, aren't used to that still, whereas we as a modern audience are, because like, that's part of the reason Angle gets heat and gets boring, especially his first couple of months of having matches, and that all he did out there was go out and wrestle, and some reason he was hated for that. Yeah, like the, a big difference between if, if Benoit had that diving headbutt, which makes me cringe every time I see it, knowing what we know now, but if Benoit hits that headbutt and the crowd erupts, you're like, oh shit, this is a, he's just hit an amazing move, whereas Benoit hits the headbutt and there's just silence. It's very hard to like kind of invest yourself and go, oh shit, and sit up. Like I didn't really sit up a lot in this match because the thing that makes me sit up when I watch wrestling at home is when a crowd pops. It's an NXT takeover thing, and AEW have gotten recently when a crowd when since the crowds have come back, when a crowd pops, you do subconsciously, no matter what, you do sit mm-hmm. forward or you're or you or you do sit up a bit taller because we watch pay views late at night. So it's say if you're watching this late at night at home. You didn't really get that kind of sit forward moment or edge your seat moment in this match because the crowd were just not not very subpar. And it's understandable, but it's kind of you kind of have to take everything to in, into account when you're talking about wrestling. Yeah, because like the IC title match, I said it wasn't as as good as the European title match in my opinion because like the only other noteworthy spot other than the finish that I mentioned that I can think of is Jericho takes a massive belt to the outside when he's doing it. He's going off the, up, up to the top rope to a move on angle. But Ben welcomes in and pushes him to the outside so he can obviously isolate Angle and win the belt for himself. And Jericho just falls out of frame and it doesn't look like it. It does not look like the most graceful. Like he probably just got fuck off. It just got pushed <laughs> by Benoit. And like, but then after that, you get into the European title match and then you got obviously Benoit trying to immediately, you know, capitalize on on Jericho and try and win the European title as well. There's a really cool spot where. Uh, Jericho thinks setting up for, no Ben was setting up for something on angle on the top. There goes a back suplex and an angle hits goes goes for and misses one of many times he will miss hitting the moonsault. But I'm pretty sure there is a bit of a reaction to this, even though it's not as much as you'd probably hope there would be because you know you got Angle, the wholesome think Olympic wrestler, going for the fucking moonsault. That should be a, a big fucking deal. I agree. Um I quite I quite I, I I, I noticed that moment because of the fact that it was definitely his debut of the moon. So, and it was gorgeous to see. And um, my notes literally say 
the debut of Angle's moonsault, which is gorgeous to see, and unsurprisingly, Benoit avoids it because we all know Kurt Angle does not hit the moonsaults ever. Um, I do think that the crowd doesn't help, but I also feel that there's something missing overall from the match. I mean, the pacing is pretty solid, and I don't think you can ever say there's any major downtime in the match. There's always something mm-hmm. happening, but even the wrestlers themselves seem to be missing an energy or an enthusiasm. And the whole match feels like they've already wrestled for 15, 20 minutes beforehand. So their movement is a bit tired. It's like by the time that Chris Benoit gets around to doing the headbutt, he looks like he's gone through a half hour Ironman match and he's struggling to even walk. And even the breaking of the near falls, it feels like each wrestler goes as slowly as possible. I'm even sure at one, I'm even sure at one point, like say, if Chris Benoit had come in and entered the ring at like the halfway point, he walked to the right and then made his way to the left to break up the near fall as if to make it as close as possible. And everything just felt quite labored yeah, when I, watching I, this. Yeah, I hate to like read too much into this and I know nothing about wrestling backstage culture. But do you think it might be a case of it's their first WrestleMania? they were so excited that they might have got warmed up or just psyched up way too early and their adrenaline just drained backstage and then they kind of had to re-warm up. Because I, I know for if I know from my experience it's nowhere near the same kind of same kind of magnitude. But if I have something big or if I'm like like if I if when I when I played sport if there was like a match like the night before you'd be very, very nervous and you wake up quite early and you'd kind of you kind of get yourself psyched up but then you kind of drain yourself with the nerves. I think that might be what happened here. Well they're cool. Jericho doesn't really talk about this match a lot, and he's, he's second big undisputed. He, he just says he was disappointed with it, but like, if I, he just he does not focus on it that much, given that he was his, his first WrestleMania. So I'm not sure if, if that's it. I think it was one of those rare occasions where thing something was just a bit off, even though these three guys, when they have like singles matches and they will face each other in singles matches multiple times over the years, mm-hmm. something was just that little bit off. I don't know what, but I do agree with you that. It did feel like there was so much happening, like there was very little downtime, and I noticed that too. Like Benoit rolls out one side, and his casual just has a wee stroll around the ring to break up the pin, which like it just the fact that the camera could clearly see him walking around to break it up just made you scratch your like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Yeah, uh, it. I'm I'm gonna throw out a theory here, and that's the idea that um, even though the interplay between the three wrestlers isn't that bad the freeway dance was still relatively new in terms of that. I mean, it only, it had only been introduced in 1994 in ECW. And in fact, WWF only introduced it in 97 when Owen Hart defended the intercontinental title against triple H in Goldust. There have been several big triple threat matches in terms of, let's say involving triple H, Stone Cold Steve Austin, the rock, etc. But it still wasn't a, regular match and it could be that there was still a slight lack of familiarity to it for these three wrestlers me like Kurt Angle has mostly been in either tag team matches or singles matches whereas this is probably the first time he was included in a triple threat match which completely changes the uh, dichotomy of the match Chris Jericho in ECW um, was mostly doing like television title matches and in WCW he was doing cruiserweight title matches so they were more likely to be tag matches as opposed to like a triple threat match. And Benoit um, 
he, he was in WCW, and I don't think they, were, they used triple threat matches that often, although he actually had a relative amount of experience with it. So I don't know whether the... It sounds quite small, but it's like when you have... You, it's like if you imagine you're at work and you work alongside one person and you have a good like rhythm to what you do, and then suddenly one day someone comes in and says, oh, now there's going to be three of you. So everything has to change. I don't know whether that slight lack of familiarity, I'd, I'd, I'd have to go back and actually look through to see the history of all three wrestlers, how many times they've been in triple threat matches or three-way dances and that sort of thing. I don't know whether that slightly impacts on it, that they sort of, it just offsets them a little bit. And that is where the momentum's lost a little bit and energy is lost a little bit or something like that. I'm, I'm not sure. It's a slight theory, and I don't. It's probably not very likely, but it's just. Some I think. I think we might be reading too much into something that maybe they just didn't click on the night, and sometimes that happens. And I'd say they, to knowing these three consummate professionals, I'd say they watched that back and just kicked themselves. Yeah, because like you know, Angle. I think he's only been in one triple that I can think of since his debut. Benoit probably isn't as accustomed to it. Jericho, maybe a little bit more. Yeah, again, it was maybe just one of the things that didn't click all three of them being there at once. And, like, WWE, though, when in the first few years, like the late 90s into the 2000s, took a while for them to really get the hang of like, having multi-man matches. And in the future, like, some of that, some of the, I think some of my favourite matches are multi-man matches, like Triple Threats, or something like the, the main event of Mania 20, which features one of the guys in this match, or, like, stuff like that. Uh, but, like, as we'll see again in the main event, with the four-way, or like if you look back to the first review we covered on the stage, which is our Unforgiven 99, where you had the six-pack challenge, it does take them a while to get the hang of booking matches with more than just a one-on-one diameter that isn't a tag match, like a six-pack or a four-way or anything like that. It takes them a while to really figure out what what, what can make these type of matches work. Because like you look at the match later on, earlier on with the TLC match, that was a great match. That was a tie team thing, not rather than just a, group, a large group of singles wrestlers based off whereas you get this match in the main event where it just doesn't feel like everything clicked yet. Uh, also, Tim White's refereeing gets called into question again because he was the official in the hardcore title match. But Ben White's a bridging suplex angles shoulders clearly not up but the referee counts anyway and the JR and King are, right, are loudly calling out his shoulders up, his shoulders up and JR uh, Lola gives him the nickname Tim White. <laughs> he had a bad day at the office i don't think as much as i like tim white and i think he's usually a pretty solid referee unfortunately tonight i don't think there's a single match that went right for him no he, he got a right bollocked from from vince he chewed him out something rotten uh, at the end of this show i imagine well maybe mm. uh, now listen to be honest if we're being honest vince probably was the only supporter of jerry's performance on this night Let's be real. Let's be real here. You say he chewed him out. I don't think he did. If we know Vince, like we know Vince from the stories we've heard, I'd say Vince was a big fan of Jerry's performance here. I was actually talking about Tim White. Oh, you were talking about Tim White? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I thought <laughs> I, I was, was, was going to interrupt you. The thing that the thing what happened was someone came in the door and I had to close it really quickly and I came back and I heard poor performance and I went, "Are they talking about Jerry Lawler?" <laughs> Man, well, yeah, we could say that about a few people, but someone came in, I had to close the door really quickly, and then I just looked at my phone, I came back and I heard poor performance and Vince wasn't happy, and I was like, right, Jerry slandered again, I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> oh dear, this is one of the times where you actually have to apologise to Jerry the King Lawler. Uh, I will never do such a thing. <laughs> I felt dirty when I said it. Almost as dirty as anything that Jerry Lawler says about women. Jericho locks on the walls of Jericho and Benoit. Angle tries to get the, the title. Uh, guy really try to hide the fact he's got you know against maybe a triple threat. It's supposed to be no DQ, but again, I don't, I don't think they've quite got the handle of that because they make a big deal of the four-wheeler on being no DQ, even though it's supposed to. Uh, Angle tries to use the belt, but uh, hits Jericho with it. Referee weeks. Of then Benoit breaks up the pin, and then there's a back suplex on Angle, but then he misses the diving head. So Angle rolls away, thinking he's by himself in time, but then Jericho immediately hits uh, a line slot on Benoit and wins the European title. So Angle, like, still keeps Winkett relatively strong, and that he's really he's not really been he's really lost twice, and this is a match where he lost uh, both his titles in separate falls, but didn't get pinned, and. So Jericho is the European champion. Benoit is the IC champion. Angle's kicking about first trying to grab his belts back from Tim White as he goes around the ring to give uh, Jericho and Benoit their respective belts. But again, this is then shows the problem with this because like Benoit won his IC title technically five minutes ago. It's not only now just getting to celebrate it. And you get one shot at him and then one shot at Jericho. But despite the fact that Jericho's, it's Jericho's music that's playing, the camera just fixes on Angle just throwing a temper tantrum. Because he's lost both of his titles, somehow yeah. forgetting the rules of the match that he was signed up for, even it though he goes on about it. Like, he's been going on about it as a conspiracy and mentioning the fact I have to defend both of my titles in a two full triple threat. Like, he kept mentioning the match, but somehow you already forgot the rules. Like, how hard in the head were you hit after you hit that minsault? This is fa- this was fantastic. I have this on my notes. The Jericho Tempranger was amazing. And it's kind of. The only modern day equivalent I can think of is uh, Sami Zayn, the way he reacts when he loses or wins. The, I, I see a lot of similarities in Angle's character back then and S- Sami Zayn's new character. We discussed it last week with the ladder match that he had. But Sami Zayn is just fantastic at portraying that delusion. And I think what I've described as before, and Seth Rollins did it at the early stages of his heel character, it's, mm. being, delib- it's being transparent in the best way possible. It's like I can see right through you, but it's not like I can see right through you in just like a bad way. It's a very, very good character trait to have when you're can he- when you're a heel. Mm. It's like I understand what you're saying and I see right through it. You're delusional. You're stupid. Go away and relax. You clearly just lost the match that you just signed up for. It's fantastic, and it takes a very, 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 very good performer to portray that character. I think it says a lot that. Um... The reason why it's very similar to the Royal Rumble. I remember where the winner was almost secondary to Kurt Angle losing because not only is he very good at wrestling, not only is he very good at talking, not only is he very good at winning, but he's very good at losing in a certain, in several different manners. And one of the best ones is losing and being upset about it. And it really. It really shows the importance of the IC and European titles that he's so upset over losing. And it's also been done in a way that has kept him probably the best protected wrestler on the entire night. I mean, he can legitimately walk away from here with this conspiracy theory and saying that he got absolutely screwed over and can, and would go on to do to go further up in the card. And he hasn't lost anything. He 
legitimately has not lost the match, the other wrestlers won it in mm. that they won it from each other, not from Kurt Angle. He is extremely protected and still puts over how upset he is and probably puts better work into making the IC title and European title feel important than the match itself did. And it all is a very clever manner of having Kurt Angle protected enough that he can, he can transition from the mid-card to like the upper mid-card over the next few months, which he starts to do. It also lays the groundwork for any f- f- the future feuds between Benoit and Jericho because they are technically still equal because they both beat and lost to each other in the same night. And it's a very clever booking situation, which I'm going to give credit for. It's just that the match itself is disappointing overall. And mm. I feel that the, the after effects of the match are more, po- are more positive than the actual match itself. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think that, uh, it's weird, like the order they had this happen in as well. You know, I I know in later years when they figured it out properly, you know, they beat out you know they had the idea all oh, the champion doesn't have to get pinned here. This is one of the most effective uses of that like idea, that stipulation. And it's weird that Jericho was the one who angled beat the IC title in the first place, and you expect him to get it bad, but he walked out with the European title, and Ben walks out with the IC title. And I don't think anyone would have really cared if Ben walked out with the European title because, like, much like Dave Malenko. The case of he's a guy that people who are mainly WWE fans don't really know that much about yet, taking a title that they've not really, another title that they've not had really much motivation to care about. But I know some people thinking that, you know, also Jericho's history with the IC title, you might be thinking, I don't really remember Chris Jericho was a European champion. Well, just wait till we talk about SmackDown next week. You'll figure out why Jericho mm. is not remembered as the European champion, and it's probably for the best in the long term. Absolutely. And I agree. Hmm. So then we go backstage to Vince McMahon, who is not like, as we, some people may say, that's when we all do Vince McMahon, which is Vince McMahon, or the gravelly voice. He's very, he's self-spoken. You know, Vince McMahon, this is like, he's, and Michael Cole asked him the most stupid question I think he could possibly ask him that saying something when he's asking if he or the other McMahons will be a factor in the main event. Like, what the fuck do you think, no, Michael? They won't be. Come on. They're all, <laughs> they're all good people. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. like that's like asking whether or not the baseball players are going to have an impact in a baseball match. You know, obviously they're not going to. It's the umpire who matters. Hello. All we all, all we all we were missing here was Michael Owen commentating on the main event. Oh God, no! I think we've already got one Linda McMahon as it is. We don't need someone else who brings nothing to the table and has about as much much emotion as my left testicle. The best, the best Michael Owen moment of all time is the Dubai ad. Have you seen his Dubai ad where he's green screened in a helicopter over Dubai and he looks down and just goes, oh, there's a golf course. It's this, I, it's the transparency amazing. is ridiculous. It's amazing. It's such the green screening is terrible. But when he just goes, turns and looks at the camera and goes, there's a golf course and smiles. It's, it's the biggest case of give me my money and I'll say <laughs> what you want that's on the paper. It's exactly like a Michael Cole. See, and and the thing with Vince here is that he doesn't even answer the question. He's like, will I be a factor? Will they be a factor? And then he just moves on and starts talking about The Rock. 
and he says, and I say, my family swims. Well, I don't quite know about that. Like, your your son hit you in the back of the head with a microphone the other week, and your daughter slapped her mother so hard it took a dramatic fall. So, yeah, maybe. And also, your daughter married the guy who beat the shit out of your arm again. So maybe there's a bit of dysfunction there, you twat. And he says, like, he mentioned what happened. What he said on Saturday, he said, I promise, no, I guarantee I will make this right for the McMahon family here tonight. <laughs> I like that though. I like that. That was a that was the one good line in the promo where he says, "I guarantee that will make that right." Because when you watch the main event, that is a really good like line that's in there. Because I love when like I love when you I don't know how often it happens, but when you watch a match and then you kind of realize what someone was talking about in their pre-match promo, it's mm-hmm. like it's like when Triple H did the "There's always a Plan B" thing for the Shield. Yeah. It's 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 just it's it's layers. It adds layers to a storyline, and I like that one bit. If we're going to take a positive out of it, it was that line in there. It's a good line, but I don't. I do feel that I have issues with it, and I am going to go into my issues with that line to some degrees later on when we actually discuss the main event. Because I'm sure it will shock you both to hear I have thoughts. Oh, I cannot. We all have thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Not content with the fact we're just giving everybody their equal time to to talk uh, before the main event. You know, we got to go immediately to that to another Triple H thing where Triple H just watched that and he's getting all irate. He's still he's strolling back and forth in his dressing room, and they just cut this random promo about how good he is to at Stephanie. He's just cutting this random promo to her and talking about how I am the game. I am that damn good. And Stephanie pans around, and Stephanie has the face of. But I can only describe as mild arousal, which makes me think, is this what their fourth play is like? Just triple she just lies on bit in bed as Triple H cuts a twenty minute promo on her about what he's gonna do. That's their version of talking dirty. In that very bed. Uh. Yeah. My my notes for the main event are are just too funny. I cannot wait to read them out. Do you guys? Because I'm I'm looking at them back from uh, from my from like a few days afterwards, pulling back the curtain, and I just can't stop laughing at some of them. Okay, lads, coming up next. I'm going to run through some things that happen, play-by-play-wise. And then going to be it while I take some deep breaths as you guys discuss what you thought of it. And then I'm going to come back in with my thoughts on this. Okay. Because next up, we have Kane, Damon Rufakishi, to take on Xbox and Road Dog. Xbox and Road Dog also have Tori in the corner, and Paul Bear is there with Kane and Paul Bear immediately walks up to Tori and tells her to go to hell to which point she slaps him and then there's a bit of a chase around the ring where Kane basically leaves Rikishi get briefly worked over two on one against DX they immediately tease uh, getting, getting a sink face on Tori but then DX try to leave and then they pull them back you know it's a little bit early to, a little bit early to do the whole trying to walk away spot they tease another sink face on Rodolph but that doesn't happen they briefly work over Two on one on Rikisha, but Rikisha hits a pop up cutter on X Pac. Kane comes in with a hot tag. Uh, Tori eventually does get stink faced. X Pac gets it with a tombstone. And uh, Kane and Rikishi get the win. Kane's got his revenge, is what JR yells uh, on the top of his lungs. And then also, they already mentioned it in the opening match. They went, Oh, I heard Pete Rose is here. Maybe Pete Rose is looking for Kane. And then a chicken comes out, the San Diego chicken who. Pete Rose came out as at WrestleMania 15 in disguise to try and attack Kane. So I basically beating your head. Well, that's probably Pete Rose under there. Or oh, do you think that's Pete Rose? Kane's staring at him. He knows it's Pete Rose. 
as the chicken dances with Rikishi and Too Cool, and I'm, I'm amazed they didn't try and get Kane to dance with them. It's a, a, a dancing thing that goes on longer than it probably it felt like it did. And the dancing Kane just stares at this chicken before trying to beat it up. Then Pete Rose comes in with a baseball bag, gets chokeslammed, and then gets stink faced. And then Kane's music hits as Grandmaster Sexton and Scottish already mildly bop their shoulders in rhyme and rhythm with Kane's music, which made me chuckle a little bit. What do you guys think of this? Four minutes, 14, by the way, this went. Um, I just want to say, uh, I don't know who Rikishi is. I have referred to him in my notes as the quiche, um, <laughs> spelled Q-U-I-C-H-E. I'm wondering, um, Sam, uh, I just said watching this without knowing the build is hilarious. Bear getting bitch slapped, ha ha ha. Uh, big big red R word aged beautifully. Um, Road Dog, what are you saying? That was probably in re- in relation to the promo, and then poor P Rose. But before you get into your notes, I want to open open uh, your thoughts, Sam, up with if Rikishi was a quiche, what would his filling be? Um, I'm gonna go with probably um, uh, cheesy meats. Yeah, uh, because I'm pretty sure that's what his fong smells of. Yeah, but I, I, and also I think. Like Rikishi would be the kind of one to be like, not understand the concept of a quiche if he was like on a European tour and just go give me steak. Like give I me- want steak in my quiche, and it's like, no, sir, we have like a tomato and we have like spring onions. It's quite nice. It's, it's really, really no, 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 no. Just give me steak. Yes, <laughs> G- give me steak with quiche on top. <laughs> and and they're like, do you know what quiche is? It's fi- it's things that make me fart. Yes. yes, we cannot disagree with that, sir. And you know what? We will get you to that poor <laughs> bastard. Who is he wrestling tonight? Oh, Tory. Fuck me. God. Um, I'm going to start off by saying that I don't know who has more attitude in this match, Tory or Paul Bearer. Because um, <laughs> Paul Bearer does his very best uh, impression of, um, of a feminine gay best friend who ain't dealing with your shit, sweetheart. And he's, just, he, he, he struts around a lot, doesn't he? <laughs> oh, do you know what? If he was in high heels, he would complete the fucking image. And I reckon he would be the best drag queen ever. He should he should be um, the mum in Hairspray because that's played by John Travolta in the film. So Paul Bearer as like the cross-dressing mum, her best friend, her best friend could be divine. And I think it would go tremendously. I would watch that film because just imagine Kane being the son that he, that he brings up. So you have Kane going to school with his mask on and his bag hung around him, looking like Channing Tatum in Gen- 21 Jump Street. It would be fucking amazing. Well, it would be absolutely brilliant. Um, ass and titties. Ass, ass and titties. Yes, yeah. I'll tell you what. Tori, I feel, definitely needs to go back to walking school because she seems incapable of walking anywhere without falling over her shoes. She is pretty much a ankle injury waiting to happen, um, which is quite worrying. It's very so, relatable, to be honest. Oh, you, you also relate. You also have ankle injuries with your high heels, do you? Yeah. Well, no, I'm just incredibly like made of glass, so I can relate to Tori. I never don't, imagined don't Jackson. Yeah, Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have to say that Jerry Lawler describing Kane as what you what you referred to earlier on the big red R um, basically caps off a absolutely deplorable, lazy, pathetic job from Jerry the King Lawler on commentary tonight. I'd say that him and Tim White were probably both equally inadequate. 
Um, but Tim White has an excuse because he's actually having to work on the fly, whereas Jerry Lawler has time to consider his comments. And the only thing he contributes to commentary is a damn headache. Um, Rikishi with the rolling tag might have been the best thing I saw in the entire match. I actually put Rikishi with a rolling tag where wonders never cease. Um, I, I definitely feel like this was less less of a match and more of a execution for Kane and Rikishi. And to be honest, it really, I'm probably about to say a line that I imagine Scott would also want to say. It feels like by the time this match occurred, everyone involved just wanted done with it and move on. Yep. Scott, (laughs) would you like to take the floor? I would. I would. Uh, I would admit, yeah, the rolling thing from Bukishi, like, uh, I was surprised to see that. Also, Paul Bear did the DX crotch chop when Pete Rose got choked and like, <laughs> it's a gift that you don't see enough of. Where's that gift of Paul Bear and the crotch chop out there, you know? I want to, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll find any situation to use that, even if it doesn't make any sense. Just I'm so, so I, that gift. Yeah, I'm so glad I watched this match without context because, like, all these characters that just. <laughs> Shouldn't be what doing what they're doing. Like Kane and Paul Bearer is just too funny to me. <laughs> that chop, that chop, basically was the best part of the entire match. Let's be honest. Two, two uh, lines of note before I go into match of thoughts here. Uh, I think it's Sarah Wallace said that when Kishi sits down, chairs beg for mercy, and Jr. screams after Tori gets the think face. Tori's got a permanent case of Asprey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's why she gets fired soon <laughs> uh, this match 4 minutes 14 as I mentioned uh, to tell our, our good friend Iron Sheik fucking bullshit <laughs> I thought you were, I, thought, I, I, I was like why are you going to start talking about Hulk Hogan it brought, yeah. like, what, what's going on god damn jabronis coming in <laughs> here and failing to do a proper wrestling match <laughs> Oh, God, this match made me so angry. I cannot <laughs> explain to you how angry I was because it just didn't mean anything. It meant fuck it all. Everything about Kane getting ranked. No, he didn't. Where, he, are the, where are the stakes? Where are the Omaha stakes? Like, where? Because <laughs> they already blew their load on the thing with him getting his come up, Tori getting her come up when he had a tombstone there on the SmackDown after he had his re-break and came back with Paul Bear. And then he tombstone her again at No Way Out. So you blew your load there. So you had to get Rikishi in there. So now the whole story is, Tori gets her come up and by getting stink face, and then Xbox gets a tombstone. And it didn't even look that good, the tombstone. So that's somehow that makes up for everything. This really shit tag match where you had these, it was a glorified squash match. Makes up for all the shit that's happened to Kane. All the last few months of NBA made was like a fucking idiot. Getting locked in the back, back, back of the trucks, getting his heart broken by Tory. We had the opportunity at Armageddon, at fucking no way out to, to blow off this feud. You wasted a perfectly good spot on the biggest show of the year to give us this shit and a glorified house show squash match that was just an angle more than anything else, set to another angle with Pete Rose, which out of the three angles they've done with Pete Rose, this is easily the worst because <laughs> it was stupid because you gave away what the twist of what was going to happen. And you told us he was going to be here. Are you okay, Scott? No, I'm not okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is... Not this match and everybody involved in it, except for Kane. 
Can we can we then can we move? Is is it right to just move on? I think that's a great way to end that. I think that's a perfect way to sum up that match. No, no, I think we're nearing the point where he's about to have an aneurysm, and I feel we just need to ask him more questions. Like, oh, how, how long was the build up for this, Scott? Oh, oh, oh! I've been on this podcast. For, I watched these two as a tag team from the beginning of this podcast when that little shit kept getting beaten up having Kane to come in and help him, and then one, no, Kane, let me fight my own battles for me. And then they have a four-way with the acolytes at No Mercy, with that wee shit win, and suddenly he's walking around like Billy Big Bollocks two weeks later, gets back together with DX, calls Kane a piece of crap, gets Kane beaten up and kidnapped and shit all the other shit for months on end. He then got his ass kicked at arm again in a cage match, which is an underrated cage match, by the way. And then the No Way Out match, which should have been the blow-off. Everything was set up for it, and then you couldn't just leave well enough, so you had to just Fucking into the fucking ground, like five more weeks of barely any build, and then two weeks ahead the same. Oh, by the way, Rikishi's got a team with Kane because apparently Rikishi's got an issue with Road Dog. Why? I think I might Why? just start. I, I think I might just start like complimenting this match just to get Scott to like blow up. I, I, will, actually, I, I swim, thought it's the third match where you live. Being if you start complimenting this match, I will swim. Kane's psychology is fantastic in this match. I actually thought it was the third best match on the show. Um, I would say that it's probably one of the most underrated. And I'd even go so far to say that it probably should have opened the entire card because of how brilliantly invested the crowd is in finally seeing Kane achieve the revenge that he so deserved. The timing and pacing and booking is probably some of the best that WWF has ever done at WrestleMania. And I actually feel amazingly proud of the tremendous work that they all put in. Mm. Creme de la creme. It is definitely the cream on top of this wonderful gateau that we've been engulfing ourselves on. And not that that kind of cream, Jerry. They took the gateau. They've been making a gateau over the last few months, and then they put the gateau in the oven right before No Way Out. And then they left it in for five fucking weeks. Now it's come out burnt to a fucking crisp inedible. I'd eat that. I'd st- me- and then it gets thrown in a fucking bin, and that results me- in this shit. <laughs> me and Sam would still eat that ghetto, chisel and hammer and all. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'd be sat around the bin with a little <laughs> a little plate on top, with a ghetto on top, with two little forks, and just be like stabbing at it until <laughs> it breaks apart and be like, I'll have this piece, you can have that piece. And we'll just turn around every now and again and see Scott glowering in the corner, absolutely fucking furious at the probably cattle. Like, probably, like, pro- probably like punching a rat or something, I don't know. Yeah, but. just banging the rat against the floor uh, in anger, like he's um, uh, one of the characters of Inbetweener, um, and just be like, I fucking hate this, I fucking hate this. And they'll be like, hey, that is Mason. Leave Mason alone. He's Kane's best friend and he likes Gatos. And Scott's going to be like, I will fucking stab you all in the throat. So, <laughs> and we'll be like, wow, that escalated quickly, didn't it? Yeah, it escalated indeed. But yeah, I cannot wait to read out my notes for the main event because I've just read them all. And <laughs> no. I, I have so much to discuss about this main event. I might have to do a dissertation at this rate. I've got so much to discuss on it because I had so many thoughts. I even have, uh, do you know what? Even before we start the match itself, I want to discuss um, after the promos because I have thoughts about all of it. Okay. Just about the segment before we move on. It hurt my soul in, in so many ways. 
also the fact that for briefest of moments, this would this was almost the main event of WrestleMania because we almost didn't have a WrestleMania main event after the Triple Threat on Raw a few weeks ago. And until Linda McMahon came out on stage and with all the enthusiasm, again, kicked in the nuts uh, and announced the Fatal 4-Way, we almost had this piece of shit as a main event. And I think the only thing that helped save my spirits for the show was The Rock's promo came after this. And this is what you need because I'm sure there's a video package out there for this main event. I've seen it out there on YouTube. But they don't play anything after this. Surely, if anything, like, this is WrestleMania. Where, like I said before, part one, where are the video packages? Especially for the main event. Because we need to be able to make sense of all this. And I think I'll find that video package out somewhere. And at some point, maybe I'll insert it now.
dysfunction of the most dysfunctional family on television today. How will the McMahons coexist when they're all in ringside for WrestleMania? Linda McMahon in Mick Foley's corner. The Big Show with Shane McMahon in his corner. Stephanie McMahon Helmsley in her husband Triple H's corner. It's McMahon in the corner of the rock. I've never seen a main event of WrestleMania so unpredictable at the Fatal 4-Way Elimination Match. Who will be crowned champion? I really hope that the theme song for that um, package is Ozzy and Kelly Osborne singing Going Through Changes, because that is pretty much what this entire main event has been doing since Royal fucking Rumble. <laughs> like the rock promo here does what the video package like should be doing, which is basically getting you eight despite all the shit you've had to sit through leading into this main event and the build. You know, he's talking about Grand Zero everything all this Kevin Kelly is and the rock says like he's talking about how he's not been champion since he lost the title last year of WrestleMania to Austin. He's like one year after everything they got thrown at the rock, after every table we put every table with every pedigree, every choke slam, every mandible claw, after everything they threw at the rock. Finally the rock is back at WrestleMania. Doesn't matter about Vince McMahon, doesn't matter about Linda McMahon and the McMahon family drama. It doesn't matter about Triple H's marriage to Stephanie. It's all about the rock being the WWF champion. And that's where I sat back off my chair after I slumped down into a little ball and cried a little bit after the cave match. I sat back off my chair and went, yeah, fucking come on, Rock. Do you want to go first, Ryan, before I go into my thoughts? Yeah, do you want want me to read out what I have on my notes? These were written five days ago. They're very (laughs) short, and I just can't stop laughing. Right. Main event is what I have it titled. Is this the biggest botch of Rumble win? Question mark. Ha ha. Bye, Big Show. You fucked it in the first place. <laughs> Call back to Rock and Sock was great. After the after Big Show's elimination, the match pick the match picks will pace a bit. It slows again. Linda is the most lifeless bitch ever. <laughs> ah, ah, Mick is what I have. Ah, Mick. Mick Foley is leaving the arena for the last time. That's in quotations because the commentary commentary said it. LOL. Ha ha. <laughs> This is going on too long. Crowd is dead again. Vince goes psycho in all capitals. Haha, Vinnie Mac to the head. Vince McMahon has busted. I thought that was very funny. Um, <laughs> the selling of the... Com- this is actually my only serious comment. The selling of the commentators of a DDT back in the day compared to now is crazy. Another move that has been diluted terribly. Shane, and this is my own, like... This is my Shane inner monologue. Look, Daddy, I did good. Never mind, he's gone backstage. <laughs> <laughs> Vince hits Rocky and then I think this is about the last bit in the match all the shit being thrown in the ring ah. <laughs> I, let's, let's just talk about uh, the first bit of this because yeah like no video bag just go straight from the rock to everybody coming out you got all the McMahons who are in ringside and Big Show they just give Big Show a few minutes of just dominating everybody and everybody having to work on three on one to justify Big Show's presence there in the first place and then obviously gets hit in the back of the back with a chair by Foley, rock bottom. Big Show is gone. Literally five minutes into what is a thirty-six minute match, the Big Show is gone. That whole thing with him winning it no way out in the weeks of you know, Big Show helping Triple H to take people out for them and beating up the Rock. That was all worth it to get here. And you know, part of me thought that you know, well maybe they put Big Show on because they thought you know two faces teaming up on a heel. I mean, it wouldn't be good for the main event of WrestleMania. 
So do I fucking know because that's what the next 10 or so minutes is all about. Mm. With Rock, Mick Foley and Triple H. That was really good. That was the best part yeah, of the match for me. As, I, as, I, as I said, after the big show gets eliminated, it picks up. But then yeah, it just goes on for far too long. If you had an elimination maybe a little bit earlier than what the set next elimination was and then just did 10 minutes of the Rock and the rock and Triple H stuff, it would have been great. But it just went on far too long. Yeah, because like, I'm agreeing with you. Like The table picks up. It should have just been the triple set, I think, probably all along. And like four minutes, 50, Vegas was eliminated. And the next elimination doesn't come until 19 minutes, 40. Like, that's too fucking long. Yeah, the length of the match, you know, you know, Triple H being a match is too long at WrestleMania that somebody should have really reined in the length of it. No, say it ain't so. And <gasps> Shock, horror. But the Big Show's been built up so much before we go down. The Big Show's been built up so much and then just flops in main event of WrestleMania, which makes Jimmy McMahon look like a twat as well for, I mean, for whatever reason, no, you know, putting all these chips on, on Big Show. So, but tomorrow night on Raw, lads, I'm going to give you four options. Does What does the Big Show do next? Does the Big Show tomorrow night on Raw, A, re-strategize with Shane McMahon to think of the next move to get back to the WF title picture? B, does Big Show use this as motivation and goes rampaging to string everybody on the roster uh, that he can until he gets what he wants? C, does Big Show randomly start a comedic face run for no reason? Or D, does Big Show come out on Raw and say, I have to go now, my planet needs me, only for JR to later tell us that Big Show died on the way back to his home planet? Judging by Big Show, I'm going to go all of the above in one night, in the space of 30 minutes. And, for, <laughs> and that 30 minutes includes a 10-minute ad break where they lost the feed and had to come back and restart again. The fact that there is a the fact that one of the like I one of my favorite things about lockdown was Quizlemania, the the quiz show that WrestleTalk did that we discussed on the last episode. The fact that they had an entire round based on Big Show heel and face turns, and they had forty fucking options to choose from shows <laughs> what we're dealing with here. I mean, Cultaholic did a whole ranked video of all these heel and face turns. And I it's, think it may be one of the longest videos I've ever fucking watched. <laughs> yeah, isn't it like at least over an hour, if not more? It's close. Yeah, to, and the, it's approaching that length. Yeah. And the funniest thing was the the quiz the quiz round was like you say whether he turned face or heel, and you give a reason, and they were they they were they, they were just accepting the answer. He just came back, and he was <laughs> I, a I heel. Up, <laughs> there, the, the ranked video from Kozolik is thirty minutes long. I'm actually surprised it's that short. <laughs> <Yeah>. I am stunned. That was 30 minutes long. I'm surprised it was that short. That could be said for many Triple H matches. They probably <laughs> only did the description and not actually showed the event itself because if they actually showed every turn, I think that we would have a WrestleMania as long as WrestleMania 33 or 34. And and then also what was weird about this, you know, Mick Foley isn't as happy about, you know, coming back for WrestleMania, you know, after the whole retirement thing. And I do think like you look at the quality of the match, big Mick Foley his last great match was at in all the way two thousand, his next great match won't be until two thousand four against Randy Orton at Backlash. But he does give it his all here, you know, the whole I do think it's quite stupid when Big when Triple is trying to form alliances, he tries Foley first. Like, mate, do you not remember everything you said about the guy? the last three, four months, the fact you've 
try to run him out of the company twice. Three, four real- months. Talk, mate, just look at the last SmackDown. The last <laughs> SmackDown three fucking days ago. When he was saying that he was going to beat him into a pulp pretty much. Forget three, four, three, four fucking months. He didn't even remember 72 fucking hours ago. <laughs> I know. And then Foley decides to side with uh, Triple H because he wants it to come down to him and Triple H, which if you've watched the last couple of weeks of SmackDown with the promos, and he's made it all about not just about winning the title. Uh, it's not just about winning the title, it's about getting back at Triple H. So he has to... Help the rock, but I don't get why he didn't let the rock hit the people's elbow first and then just push him aside and let him and try and get the pin of his belt. He gets the mandible coin on the rock and then briefly teams with Triple H, which gets Mick Foley the loudest boo I think I've ever heard. <laughs> but, well, for him, because he's, he's always such a fun, like a well loved guy. Oh, just... um, <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm going to give all my thoughts up until Mick Foley, okay? So, first of all, I want to give attention to The Rock's promo. And I'm going to say that his promo about the 12-month journey he's taken after losing the WWF title at last year's WrestleMania, that is the first time tonight this match feels important. Now, we were talking when we watched the promo pa- uh, promo at the very beginning of the show when they're talking about WrestleMania, and it, f- it, m- it didn't hit. It didn't do anything. It was completely lackluster. And this moment almost makes up for it because he sells it with so much conviction that you are completely invested. Now, this should have been the focus. And I know we're all going to pretty much... Um, going to agree with it um this should have been the focus not the mcmahon bollocks because having seen everything the rock has gone through we've seen the betrayals we've seen the attacks we've seen the threats we've seen the beatings we've seen him going through the rumble this should be the moment that matters and in actuality when you think about it the story of each wrestler's journey to this match makes so much of a better focus you have the rock having lost the WWF title 12 months ago and finally getting his opportunity to redeem that loss. You have Mick Foley coming back for one night only to try and finally achieve his dream of winning the WWF championship at WrestleMania. You even have the big show who became WWF champion at Survivor Series after the injury to Steve Austin. He's trying to redeem the failure of his title reign. Try and get in revenge against the man who stole the championship from him at the very beginning of the year. And finally, you have Triple H having to deal with the repercussions of his actions over the last 12 months. You know, you have his battles with Vince McMahon. You have his marriage to Stephanie. You have his attacks against Foley, his retirement of Foley, beating Big Show for the title, his regime running war. You are bringing all of these actions together to tie it up in the culmination of a 12-month arc because this time last year The Rock lost his title Triple H betrayed DX Big Show broke free from the corporation and Mick Foley was the referee in the main event but not wrestling this match is packed full of all of this history that really should be taken advantage of and it doesn't matter at all because it's all about the fucking McMahons. Now, 
some I'm going to give a couple of little positives because I try at least. I did think it was clever to start off with The Rock and Triple H trash talking only to be separated because it helps prolong what the big battle is going to be. You have it Foley against Triple H and Big Show against Rock, tying back to the history that they've had so far. And part of me does like the fact that all three of them started partnering together against the Big Show because they know they have to eliminate a base man. But you have the supposed cerebral assassin Triple H attacking Mick Foley doing it. And that instantly makes him look like a complete and utter fucking idiot. How are you supposed to sell Triple H as the WSF champion being the most intelligent when he is the one who ruins the very first alliance? And I think eliminating a full-time giant in less than five minutes is so daft when you have Mick Foley in there. As much as I love Mick Foley, you have just under 15 minutes then dedicated to the two baby faces, double team and the heel champion. That's almost, that's, that's three times as much time dedicated to that as is dedicated to the big show. And that is horrendous, absolutely horrendous booking. That is completely backwards and, actually ends up damaging multiple people in the match. You have Foley looking like an idiot because he's teaming up with Triple H and Rock, etc. You have The Rock and Mick Foley be- both coming across badly because they're double teaming the heel. You have The Heel look like the biggest heel in the world in that he's able to battle back against this. And you have Big Show, a complete and utter fucking afterthought. And I feel that the stupidity of Triple H saving Mick Foley at one point really does make him look like the biggest idiot on the planet until straight afterwards, Mick Foley makes a partnership with him. And at this point, the crowd is starting to get slightly invested in it. But when Foley can't make that jump and hits the table, it deflates the crowd slightly. And I'll give credit to Triple H by trying to cover it, hitting his own elbow drop on the table, etc. But that deflates it crowd which is already struggling with this match after a very long event and I think the fact that when Foley originally kicks out of the pedigree and the crowd cheers that says a lot to me I think the booking has been has so far been mistaken all the way through you shouldn't have had Big Show get eliminated first you shouldn't have had three times of the match dedicated to Foley, Triple H and Rock without the big show because it makes Triple H seem like the biggest hero ever and that he's able to survive it. And I just feel that eliminating Foley with such goodwill behind him when you could have actually taken good good advantage of it and either had him be eliminated first by big show to really make the big show seem like a tremendous heel or hell, fucking eliminate Triple H and have The Rock versus... Mick Foley in the main event where you've got two of your biggest baby faces and you're thinking to yourself, either we're going to see the full time of win after 12 months of finally getting this opportunity again, or you're going to see the guy getting his one night only where he gets the best opportunity to win the title that he never got the chance to win at WrestleMania and the opportunity story-wise that would be open afterwards. It's just the booking in the lead up has been a mess. The promos have been fantastic in terms of investing you into it, but the focus and the the storytelling is wrong. And I feel that by the time we get to The Rock versus Triple H, you're already past the point of salvaging this match. 
unfortunately yeah unfortunately yeah sorry about that it's like i'm the guy who has the train to catch in the in the stadium who expected the match to go half as long as it did but um but uh, has to unfortunately leave you beautiful men early. I'm just going to say echo what Scott, uh, what sorry, what Sam said. Um, it it had the bones of a really really good story if they built it correct. Yes, the build up was flawed, but if they book this build, if they book this match correct, it could salvage it. But halfway through the match, you realize the stupid booking, the short sighted booking, the fact that oh the crowd will the crowd the crowd will love it. It's a WrestleMania main event. It doesn't matter if we make Mick Foley and Triple H friends. Just kind of takes over and. Yeah, that point where Mick Foley hits that elbow drop, you can just sense like a big vacuum just sucks the air out of the crowd because they know Mick isn't going to get the win and they know they're going to get like a 15-20 minute Rock versus Triple H, melodramatic McMahon-filled, just just bore fest where they they know exactly where it's going to go. They can kind of, halfway through, you can kind of sense that it clicked me where I'm like, this is what Vince was talking about in the promo. As good as that line the promo was, unfortunately... Halfway to the match, you slowly realize this is just a Triple H loving, and that's what makes it really sad for me. So, unfortunately, I'm gonna have to leave you, but thanks a million for having me on for this. And we're definitely gonna do a lot more podcasts together. I'll have you on our channel to do takeover throwbacks, I'll have you as part of a lot of projects that we're cut with that we're planning in the future that I haven't revealed yet. You can come on, and uh, if you ever want to watch AW with us on Twitch, if you ever stay up that late, I'd love to have you on. It's been an absolute pleasure, so thanks for having me on. Really having you in year, man, and look forward to doing more stuff in the future. So, really thank you for enjoying WrestleMania 2000 with us. Yeah, I'll see you guys later. Thanks, Sam. Look after yourself, mate. And I am always up for takeovers in AEW, I have to admit. So, I would gladly work with you in the future. Thanks very much, everybody. I and uh, Dave, I, I may, I'm, I'm, I'm in the Rogue Opinions Messenger chat now, so it's official. So, I'm gonna be on a lot more content. Hopefully, you have enjoyed my voice. Hopefully I'm on a bit more content where I understand that and I'm not just that young guy giving the young guy perspective <laughs> soon. But I've, thor- I've thoroughly enjoyed True and True WrestleMania 2000 and I'll see you all later. Uh, yeah, just Hallway Graps Pod on Twitter if you want to look at more of our content and that's about it. And I lo- love you boys and uh, enjoy talking through the last 40 minutes of this main event. Goodbye. <laughs> Thanks for yeah, leaving man. us in the lurch at the wrong time, Ryan. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah, <sighs> only this equation has been limited now. It's you know, to the next fifteen or so minutes of the Rock and Triple H. You can say you're amongst yourselves too. I mean, I mean, one of us does talk as much as Triple H, but I I don't know, Scott. I feel sometimes that you can almost match him, but not entirely. So I would never give you sh- uh, shrift about that because at least you have something to say. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, like talk a bit fully, yeah, like. The whole thing of him teaming up with Triple H, like the fans boo out of the bum, but you can really like understand why I get if you really pay attention to these promos the last couple of weeks. But I think other than the finish, there's one moment this match is remembered for and not in the best way. And I think it's probably the main reason that Foley doesn't like thinking about this match. And it's when they set up for what should have been his big moment, a moment he's probably done before with the, the elbow up to the table and like not only does he miss hitting the rock, he just barely misses the table, he just Plunks hit really hot off the side of this nice and table, and you can tell just how badly this is fucked up. By Triple H quickly getting up to hit an elbow on the rock, their table doesn't break, cleans back up, it's another one, and the the table finally collapses. And I think what was meant to happen is they fully take themselves and the rock out with that move, 
and then Triple H rolls him back in to try and hit the pedigree, which Foley then kicks out of, but then they immediately have him get hit with a pedigree on the, the steel chair. Uh, so they eliminated McFoley like 19 minutes into this 36 minute match. But I think already, like, as much as people were probably behind the rock when it came to these two, I think people were a bit taken out of it by the fact that Foley spectacularly fucked up that dive. Yeah, I think um, something that I found quite interesting, I don't know whether you noticed it, was that um, when looking at the shot afterwards, you can almost see that like where the mat would normally be and the table would be against it, there actually did seem to be at least a foot space between it. So I don't, I, I don't know whether that was after Foley's dive and he had moved it back a little bit or whether it was before, but it was something that I didn't notice slightly. And I think it's, it's got to be gutting considering that Foley obviously the, what really brought him back, I think was going to be the opportunity to have that WrestleMania moment. He always wanted. And it's, he already went against his words having, coming back, and he's always been very gutted. I think about that because he really wanted to. He really wanted to stick to his word about staying away. He he made a big thing about coming back and doing it for the right reasons, and even then, it almost went to get went against him. And I think it's very much indicative of the entire night that. I don't think there's a, you could almost say there's almost like not a single match that hasn't had at least one issue to it. And that's really, really gutting and disappointing. And I just, I just feel sorry for Mick to some degrees because either stuck to his honor and didn't come back. And he always wonder what if, or in this situation where he comes back and it backfires on him. And I just feel I just feel a bit sorry for him at this point, to be honest. Yeah, I guess it's worse when you talk about the finish because, uh, well, you can make sense of like what things got and what was doing when you watch back SmackDown. It made it's weird that you do the order elimination the way they did it. If like, it wasn't going to come down, if it was going to come down to heel, big heel, and Triple H in the most over face, then it comes at the stage in the Rock. If you weren't going to have the Rock, you know, win. And you know, have the feel good like ending because The Rock there's only one in the main event of WrestleMania once, and that's against Cena in 28. So The Rock kind of had that moment of uh, ending WrestleMania, holding up the championship. Which, when you think of how over he was, the fact that Austin got to do that three times, it's mm. kind of weird that The Rock never got to do that at least once. And then, like, it becomes more of a brawl between these two. You've got McMahon to get involved, you know, uh, Shane ends up hitting Vince with a busting him open with a chair. And Vince gets carried out, then Shane tries to get involved with you. But I'm just wondering what the fuck are you even doing here? Your guy got eliminated. Why are you still here? And uh, then Vince comes back, and then he hits Triple H. He goes out Triple H with the chair, you think, and then he hits the rock with the chair. And you're just like, wait, what? And then Triple H goes to pin him. The rock kicks out. And so just picking up and let Vince hit him with another, bit, another chair. So I'm like, so Triple H does he even get to win with the pedigree? Like Vince, we can't put the chair down. We can do another pedigree on the chair spot or something like that. Like just too reminiscent of the finish we're gonna get to WrestleMania next year. And then like you got Stephanie with that what kind of look look on her face as people are pelting the ring with garbage and kind of a not the right kind of heat uh, moment. And not only is this, so Triple becomes both the first champion to retain in the main event WrestleMania and the first heel to walk out of WrestleMania as champion. 
if you don't count Hulk Hogan coming in and just fucking stealing the title from Yokozuna at the end of WrestleMania 9. But the first, like, per- portrayed the heel to walk out with the title. And it's one of those weird moments, much as I like Triple H now, looking at him back here and what I've seen the last few, like, through this review, I'm looking at him like, of course Triple H is the first guy to walk out with rest- WrestleMania still the fucking champion. Mm. I... So, first of all, I think that the beating that Shane gives Vince is quite impressive. Um, Vince sells it really well, and I think Shane actually looks relatively vicious to the point that Michael Clark Duncan at ringside is totally pissed off about it. Um, I'm frustrated because of the fact that you have at one point Triple H swings at Vince, and Vince completely goes for Triple H and throws him into the ring, into the, um, into the corner and that sort of thing. And it's just like, it is, it got a bit of a reaction and it makes it even more nonsensical in retrospect when you build up to the big twist. And I just, the, the twist to me is just so flawed because so I did media studies at college and I did uh, English with creative writing at, un- at university. So I'm, I'm very much interested in seeing how a story develops and how a twist can be implemented. Now, wrestling seems to really pride itself on having a major twist. And they seem to think that the, be- that the most important part of a twist is how much it surprises you. And it's not. The most important thing about a twist is that it makes sense when you look back. You have to be able to have it that the signs were always there because otherwise you're just trying to shock your audience. And there are elements where it feels like this makes sense in retrospect. Triple H's comments on SmackDown, Triple H's com- uh, no, sorry, Vince's comments on SmackDown after his conversation with Linda hints towards it. But what doesn't help is Vince's actions in the actual match itself up until this moment. So he's supposedly he's going to turn on the rock in order to help Triple H to bring his family back together. But that's only after he's already attacked Triple H and could have lost in the match. And it makes it feel even more stupid in retrospective that, um, the twist, the shock was more important than the actual detail to it. And it frustrates me because the WWE were actually, could actually do really good twists. If you look back at like Survivor Series 98 or even uh, Survivor Series 2001. So Survivor Series 98, you have The Rock being unveiled as the corporate champion after Mankind supposedly being the first choice. But if you watch the actual story throughout, it makes sense because Mankind keeps on having these really difficult matches to get through, but pe- cheating on his behalf. But The Rock has it that matches that are relatively easy seem almost don't seem um, forced. Like it, it makes it seem like he's the babyface battling back. And it's only when you look back, you realize it was made easy for him. And that's where it works really well. And I'm thinking of Survivor Series 2001, when you, where you have Kurt Angle turn on the Alliance. That makes sense because of the storytelling that's been built up. But... This twist does not make sense. Not if you actually look at everything that's happened beforehand. It's where the shock is more important than the actual storytelling. I feel that's that's too indicative of the actual event itself. They're more concerned about the surprise 
than the actual work put into it. And unfortunately, I feel that they really failed with the with the build up to it, and it ends up with a really disappointing main event. Mm. You know, and like the thing with the twist is like Vince decides he's gonna make it right and decide and decide the best way to do it. Somehow is they have the McMahon's on top. The McMahon's can't be fighting the McMahon's need to you know come together, and you know he's with he loves his daughter, so he's made the best way to do it is if she loves Triple H, then he needs to put aside what he felt about Triple H before. And you know, help Crowley stay on top. Have Stephanie have the power as well with the women's title, where he puts her in that position against Shaco, and it's made a women's uh, title match. But unlike Survivor Series '98, it's not a case of always revealed like Shane Rock and everybody else were all along. I feel like the case of here, Vince had a plan and just didn't. This must be. It feels like the big, the big main event of the entire entire year and they shat the bed completely on everything every decision they could have made for a right thing they did the wrong thing mm-hmm. like, you had Shane and Vince fighting each other literally five minutes before Vince did his big reveal and before Shane, they can reveal where Shane stands and it looks like they're a bit comfortable and you're waiting are they going to hug, are they going to fight or what, what's going to happen because Shane will eventually join this whole regime that they have and they've written the studios are going to eventually come back as heels. But I'm assuming the whole thing she enjoying happens tomorrow night. And Linda's clearly too nice or too incapable of showing evil or any other type of emotion, which is why she's the default good McMahon. But basically, Vince is planning to unite all the McMahons with Triple H on top. And basically, Vince, in his typical Mr. McMahon, I don't care what you people want. Like, doesn't care that people are going to throw garbage at the wing as long as these families back together. Again, like you could have cued the people involved in because again, you had your own son smashing the head with a chair. It would have explained why Shane was even out there in the first place. And yeah, and then The Rock gets to be other McMahon's, gets the people's elbow on Stephanie, who was the show, and then you just have McMahon's being helped as The Rock's music playing for the last 30 seconds or so of Mania. The Mania should have just cut off a minute or so before it did because you spent too long shot on the McMahon's while The Rock's music playing. Which is basically sums up this whole main event entirely, where it should be the Rock's moment. The Rock is there in the background, but it's all about the McMahon's. Yeah, and I especially think that this was a main event primed for the Rock to win. Mm-hmm. I think that you could you could have the McMahon's come back together and turn on the rock but I feel that having Triple H win is still a mistake because one, the storytelling doesn't make sense of it, it seems again another um, moment where they're trying to do a big twist and in actual fact the storytelling would suggest that the rock has to win to, against all the odds because you've had it already where he's, he's had these odds against him in the build up, he's had these handicap matches he's had everyone attacking him and he's found ways to work around it and battle back etc and that would seem to prime to say that when the regardless of the odds he will find a way but not, not necessarily in a super scene way mm-hmm. and it just I'm, I'm trying to collect my thoughts because even though I've, writ- I've written my notes I still feel that this is a choice that balanced 
doesn't make sense. It just feels like, oh, we'll have Triple H retain because, you know, he was never retained and it will look good and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And what they end up doing is that what the finish should have been, they just end up taking a month longer. And I don't think there's been... I would be surprised if up until now, for WrestleMania 2000, there has been a main event as badly booked and prepared as this one. And that includes WrestleMania 13, when they're trying to deal with Shawn Michaels having lost his smile. Um, it's The main event is, is filled with disappointment. And they often say that the main event is indicative about the entire show. I think mm-hmm. in this ex- it, example, it definitely is. You talked you talk earlier about all the story and everything with The Rock and everything he's went through the last year. It should have been like a pillar for him, you know, fully coming back and for one night. And his moment kind of got ruined when he fucked up that spot. You know, Big Show, Rock and his promo, I forgot to say, he just said, it's sure as hell ain't about the Big Show. So they just, like, Big Show, if you cut out those five minutes with Big Show wasn't even involved in the match, and then nothing really changes about this entire match. Big Show is a complete non-entity in this entire thing. And like I mentioned before about the whole thing of Vince helping him win the title in the first place and how he never got a rematch and that's never been properly utilised on like talk about the twelve months that have led to this. They used to do they talk about how back in the day we used to put the rest of main main event a year in advance and then work our way back. Like I don't think they had this plan twelve months in advance. I'd be surprised if this main event was properly booked out or laid out twelve fucking weeks before WrestleMania two thousand, let alone twelve months. So like all the possibilities, everything that they could possibly have done, they decided to go with oh, what they thought was the the most shocking, which then turned out to be the worst decision they could have made. Because, like I said before, the pay per views are indicative of another way to further the story for the real payoff, which will come down the line. When really, they're forgetting the fact that WrestleMania is supposed to be the culmination of your biggest stories. The whole point of WrestleMania is it's supposed to be the third act of your movie. It's supposed to be the last chapter of your book. It's supposed to be the season finale. And what this feels more like is that they're just about to do the season finale and then they've been told, oh, actually, you've just been gifted another four episodes on top. So they have to basically cut their original ending and come up with four episodes in between to make up for it. And this is... I, I would go so far to say this might be one of the most frustrating WrestleManias to watch because so many mistakes and and terrible choices are made. And I, I, my overall thoughts, I might as well go into my overall thoughts because I'm pretty much about to start it. I'm going to say that I do not feel this is a great res- WrestleMania. I actually feel it's a transitional WrestleMania more than anything because it's very similar to previous WrestleManias where it's mostly a few big matches and some random undercard inclusions. I mean, there's no way you're going to fucking tell me that um, King Kong Bundy versus uh, SD Jones or whatever at WrestleMania was going to be on the fucking cards and promo packages and that sort of shit. They're... Previous WrestleManias will have random matches thrown on every now and again. It's only really now in the last 10 to 15 years, I'd say, um, that it's become a case that every match has to have some form of importance. And even then, they don't fucking achieve it. But you've got it. You have nine matches. You have that of the first three, there were two pointless matches and one badly booked match. You've then got it that the triangle ladder 
saves the pay-per-view. Let's be honest, without this triangle ladder, you would call this a disappointing house show, let alone a fucking WrestleMania. But the triangle ladder is the best, the absolute best match on the card, saves the pay-per-view, but you then have it straight out to us, you have the awful cat fight, which is a complete bottom of the barrel bollocks. I'd be tempted to say that the last four matches are almost, almost worthy of the pay-per-view, which means that of the nine matches that are on show, three are pointless, five are flawed, and the only one you can say without question is WrestleMania-worthy is the Triangle Ladder match. Mm. Yeah, because like, I don't even, like, my, I'd say the top three worst WrestleMania's don't include this one. I say the top three worst ones are probably 27, 9, and 11. And I said, and like, this would be around about WrestleMania 11 territory if it didn't have the ladder match. So the ladder match really keeps it in the bottom, like, pile of like when you're ranking all the WrestleMania's and like worst to best. But it's, there's still ones that are worse than this, but that's still saying something. And it's a great thing with the uh, I've heard before, and I really subscribe to, and that WWE, when they have shit years, somehow put on great WrestleManias. But when they have a good year, they can't put on a good WrestleMania. Because, like, this year, we talk about other pages, we're going to talk about great pay-per-views, shit WrestleMania. Like, a lot of people think of 2001 is a bit of a disappointment with the invasion. Great, probably the greatest WrestleMania of all time happened in that year. Mm-hmm. I mean, 2015 was one of the worst years, especially for ratings that WWE had, especially when they're trying to do their own reigns push. WrestleMania 31 is a great fucking WrestleMania. The following year, 2016, actually a good year all around, but WrestleMania 32 was unperwhelming. It's not, I don't know why they can't put a good year and a good WrestleMania together. They finally put bad years and bad WrestleMania together, i.e. WrestleMania 11. But I just don't know how they managed to fuck up so spectacularly. And yeah, like I said, like it's just building to other things where rather than this being the actual payoff. Yeah, I mean, we're not even going to do the whole oh, where would you recommend? Because everybody knows that you recommend the, the triangle ladder match. I'm just thumbs middling to or very close to down without the triangle ladder match, it would be a full on thumbs down for me. Yeah, because. I have probably more notes on the negatives than I do on any positives. You've got it like, for instance, there's issues with the audio at times, as we know. There's some flubs from the referees, which is mostly Tim White. We've got really poor matches in the catfight and Hedges versus TNA, which really disappoints me as a Steve Blackman fan. You've got it that the hardcore championship is boring. You've got it that the opening match is underwhelming. You take it takes four matches for it to even feel like WrestleMania. And then you have it. The IC European title matches are disappointing. Kane's revenge is not worth the long build-up. The atmosphere isn't great. It feels like a lesser pay-per-view. If this was fully loaded or vengeance, it would be better than expected. But the majority of the event is not WrestleMania quality. And the final twist is so fucking stupid after everything that has happened so far. The Literally, you can turn on and say the triangle ladder match saves the show because without that match, the crowd would have been dead before the main event from boredom. And the main event itself might feel big, but the execution is not great. And the booking is so bad. Focusing on the McMahons instead of the actual stories from the last 12 months damages it. And one of the only few positives is saying that 
I'd be lying if I didn't say the rock bottom on Stephanie felt very cathartic after having to sit through how important she is for the last fucking decade. Um, oh, this is for me. Ir- regard- regardless of the triangle ladder match, for me, this is a thumbs down. It is a terrible. It is a terrible WrestleMania, let alone a terrible pay per view. Um, and quite frankly, if you like. Like you said, if you if you removed the triangle ladder match, you'd basically be served a shit soup starter, a shit in the shape of a steak, and a shit encrusted pudding. And that is basically the last three hours of watching this show. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with that. The only positive I can really see here is that it's past this now, and we can move on to better things. But now we have WrestleMania 2000 backlash. Wait, no, they, they weren't that stupid back then. It's just backlash we've got to look forward to, which is somehow better than what we were given at WrestleMania. Now, The Rock and Triple H, it's just those two. They, they can have they can focus on the title picture. Big Show's far back down the card where he should be. Edge and Christian, Hardy, the leads are talking to you know, mix it up. We're going to see more from like Jericho and Ben Wall and Angle. Those guys are going to get pushed. Games going to hopefully have a better, more meaningful feud than he's far away from Xbox. As Xbox is, is very much going to pick up in the years to come, and we're we're on to bigger, better things with the Rogue Retro Smackdown review, and we hope that you will join myself and Sam, and whoever we end up getting as a third whenever we do the pay per views going forward. I definitely think uh, Rian will be uh, with somebody who's going to come on again when it comes to pay per view reviews. I had to agree with that. I think. Um... <laughs> Having a third person on for this pay-per-view has been really beneficial because um, we, we're we a little bit older. We're a little bit more... Um, you be yourself. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I am an old man who actually watched these sort of shows back when it actually happened. So having that different perspective, I think, is really beneficial and... I'm going to say it's like a commentary team where you have three different people with their three different strengths really brought to it. And I think having a third person for a pay-per-view really sells the importance of it. But the main thing is that I want to make sure that I'm the Samoa Joe or Nigel McGuinness of the commentary <laughs> team. Because obviously I'm the interesting one and you guys just add the flavor. Yeah. <laughs> uh. But all that will be like with me and Sam as we continue to go through the Rogue Ridge Matter. I mean, it's good that we can have us here as the guys who have been watching the build and like of that context and can explain to people who come in because that's one of the best things having people come in just every now and then with like the context because like so much was different from about the what was happening big wise from when Rian was last on for No Way Out as opposed to when he came back for WrestleMania. And we hope you'll support the brand Rogue underscore things at on Twitter and uh, Instagram, check out our website Rogue Opinions 20 or WordPress because somebody for some reason already got Rogue Opinions. There's some decent articles up, up there by likes of uh, Carl and Anthony Rulevin did the good stuff there. Check out Rean, as you mentioned, Hallway Kratz Pod and at Rean No Numbers I believe he's his handle on Twitter and he's nicknamed the man that genetics forgot and you know, he's doing some good stuff there. Hopefully we'll be on over there for doing some stuff with them. Uh, the three of us can do some stuff more wrestling-wise. We've got some ideas in the pipeline uh, going forward. Take out the Mandalorian pod. Uh, we've got some stuff planned for the anniversary, two-year anniversary coming up of Rogue Opinions. 
And you can find me on Twitter at scottmcleod1986. Well, I'm not around the podcast. Finally, managed to get around to our rebellion review. You can listen to it now. It's a long one, almost as long as this podcast, actually. And I'm a jelly. It took me a long time to edit that. And you can find Eat Sleep Superplay XVG at Superplay XVG. I'm doing a lot of good stuff over there. And uh, for once, Sam, I'm going to let you go last on the plug. So please plug away, sir. Okay, if you'd like to look at my collection of plugs to the right of me, uh, I'm pretty sure I have some fantastic ones that you'll be interested in. Uh, If I take this lovely plug right now, I can tell you that I have recently been featured back again on Cultured Vultures. Uh, this time I've been discussing film and wrestling. For instance, I've done an article on some of the best matches of previous backlashes, which includes one that we will be watching in the next four weeks, which I'm very excited about. And I've also done a film one, which is celebrating George Clooney's 60th birthday, where I recommend the five movies you should watch to see his best performances, because he may be a handsome man and look good in a suit, but damn, that man can act, especially when it comes to appearing in a um, suit, because damn, he looks so good. Uh, I am also going to be featuring on WrestleJoy very soon. Uh, I have a couple of articles that I've got in the mind to go with. I have the CM Punk World Title uh, WWE Title Series continuing uh, as we go through, and I'm also going to be doing a Shinsuke Nakamura retrospective regarding his time as the IWGP Intercontinental Champion as a slight remembrance of the title now that it has been extinguished in New Japan, unfortunately. And also, I am possibly looking to be featuring as a guest on a show discussing my my favourite five films that impacted me as a writer and film fan. But... That has only just been discussed. I might be giving you a slight preview, but we don't have anything confirmed of when. But when I know, you'll know. But apart from that, you can mostly see me on here as Scott Second, adding flavour to the retro <laughs> review. Yeah, very good. Uh, we're hopefully going to be doing some other stuff. Uh, we really do with wrestling, as I said. Uh, maybe we'll, me and Sam can do some stuff uh, non-wrestling related. We'll just see where we go from here but uh you know we've got some stuff planned i'll just say and i'll make myself feel better about the shit they fed to game by playing you kane's song from the from the wf aggression album uh, it's a little big red machine the best song on that album but better known as the kane rap and <laughs> fine i don't think you know you see if you want to use later on is not a bit coffee i'd take that feed over the whatever the shit with xbox is any day Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Never regret, I'm a threat to the world, do danger, death.
myself. Only thing left standing is the almighty king. Coming here, bringing faith in the course of the bank. Who's so pal, drive my design to soul. I'm the product of the bottom of a mind of stone. Psychotic off a chronic mix with rage and lust. Stomping all opposition to their brains and smudge. Showing force from the force as the blood pour forth. I endorse only sports of the dangerous sort. 7-3, first degree, maniac unseen. And can't nobody stop the big red machine. Walking with the devil with the mask on my face The way I DDT these fools, I'm bound to catch a case Seven foot three with a tombstone that sit about ten feet Under take them to another street Pete gang low, we might do this for the theme Cause everybody wanna see him do his thing Put the dusty ass off with them one, two, threes I mean them three, two, one, this show ain't even begun Tombstone pal, drive my design to soul I'm the product of the bottom of a mind of stone Psychotic over chronic weeks with rage and lust Stomping all opposition to their brains and smush Show the force from the force as the blood pour forth I endorse only sports of the dangerous sort Seven three first degree maniac unseen And can't nobody stop the big red machine My mentality is actually destroying smash Anything in my path plus the titans clash Bring a body, anybody, it don't matter the size I arrive in disguise and my mission surprise We just some low out worldwide figures I heard you on the match when I was with my nephew